So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker and Meg, why don't you run down what Inside Tracker is and what you can get? Yeah, so Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics. With a simple blood test and using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. And the good news for our listeners is for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash drop in. So, Meg, we're going to be heading to London doing a shakeout run with Tracksmith. The, the Hurdle. I couldn't get that one out. Wow. The Hurdle podcast. That was and a hurdle to get to the Hurdle podcast. Yeah, it was <laughs> a hurdle. I got tripped up. It's like, you ever seen those videos where people hit those wrong? Yeah, so Emily Abate, who hosts the Hurdle podcast, and Charlie. And Charlie from the Runner Beans. Yeah. And Is that just her like name, the that, Runner Beans? That's her Instagram yeah. handle. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, we're probably going to try a toad in a hole, maybe get some of that Yorkshire pudding. You have to. It's not a question. Okay. Anyways. Now, Robbie, can you give the details? So the Tracksmith and London Marathon Shakeout Run will be the day before the London Marathon. That's October 1st, 9 a.m. English time, whatever that is. Is that Greenwich Mean Time? Close? <laughs> it's um, the same time as Big Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 9 a.m. meetup at the Tracksmith Brand House. That's at 2325 Chiltern Street, London. Then a lot of numbers and letters. I think they say it differently over London. there. London. <laughs> anyway. Landon? Uh, yeah, Landon. Um, and, Robbie, you got an RSVP so they know if you're coming. There's going to be some special giveaways. There's You get in a, a little, a, some sort of marathon sack. Yeah. And then there's also, I'm definitely hitting this up after the London Marathon. Once you finish, back to the track house, you get your poster stamped. Oh, that's right. And that will be our second one. Meg's got one from Boston. We'll get one now from London. Hang How are out. you going to get that home? It's a paper tube. They give you a tube? Yeah. yeah. They give you a tube. Oh, sick. Um, so registration is required. We'll put the RSVP link in the description. If they don't give me a tube, I'll go get a tube. Yeah. We are going to take the tube. Yeah. We'll take it too. <laughs> you already got that. Nice. Okay. You sound like y'all from London. <laughs> and no one's showing up. <laughs> All right. On with the show. Hi, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. This is Robbie with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And you're listening to The Drop, our weekly podcast about all things running. And we sprinkle in like that chef that did the salt on the thing. That's so old now, that meme. Ratatouille? No, I'm thinking that, remember the guy that does the, mm, with the salt? Oh, yeah. Like the, eh. (laughs) Yeah, that's so old now. I mean, that's how the times were. I wish the audio listeners could see this. Well, yeah. Um, Anyway. Uh, we sprinkle in a healthy dose of nonsense, as you can already tell. Yeah, I'd say it's more than a pinch of salt. Yeah. It's more like, you know, when you... Are you saying the pinch of salt is the running? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know when you have a salt shaker and, like, someone pulls a prank on you where they unscrew the lid on it? Or, like, like one side is, like, the open and then one side has just the holes and then you thought you only had the shaker. You know, that's actually a good subject. If we want to have a round table on this one... What are pranks that the person who pulled the prank enjoys 
but the person who got it, it actually hurts. Like it, it feels bad. Like you hurt inside. I think if you have that salt shaker and you dump it on, you just got your meal from a restaurant. Oh yeah, and like it just destroyed you. Have meal. you have you ever drunkenly like you go to get pizza late at night and you like think you're putting um, like garlic powder on it or whatever, and you end up putting salt on it, like garlic salt. Have you ever made that mistake? No, but I'd probably be fine with that. <laughs> I love it's so salt. gross because it's just like, there's a there's a limit though. Okay, yeah, I'm not a huge salt guy, which is probably why I need salt stick in my life. <laughs> That's so weird. Like yeah. I would think you have a healthy dose. Wait, of salt. are you like a sweet guy? Like you like sweets over salty stuff? Not really. I just don't like. I don't put salt on any of my food ever. I mean, unless it's in a recipe, you know. Do you guys cook a lot though? Yeah, pretty pretty decent. Huh. I've been, uh, I got a deal in the New York Times um, cooking and games like package, which is awesome because I love the New York Times crossword. Okay. I didn't know that this was a package you could get. Yeah. I got to say, like, you just sounded like you're 90 years old. <laughs> what well, is funny because, um, like, I love doing the crossword and you, in the comments every day they have um, people commenting it and it's all like 80 year olds. Like, like today, one of the clues was Anderson Pock, the artist, and nobody had any idea who that person was. And I'm like, see, this is like where I this is where I balance things out because I don't I'm not good with like World War II history, <laughs> right? But is there is there like why you're doing the crossword puzzles? Is there ads for like adult diapers, <laughs> I erectile dysfunction? Pro there should be, yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know, heart medication. No, he's paying for it. You don't get ads, right? No, you still. Uh, well, not like in the puzzle. Maybe but he gets discounts. Maybe even if you're a subscriber, even if you're a subscriber on times, you still get ads like on the, oh, okay. in the digital yeah. version. Um, but anyways, so what, what, what were we talking about? Uh, we were just Salt. explaining how <laughs> this podcast is actually about nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. But running, we, you guys did do some running this past weekend. We did this so a lot of running, actually. Yeah. It was so much fun. It was. Like, we missed you, Robbie. We I, did. I'm, I'm really. I need to get back on the grind. Yeah. There was only a couple times where I didn't miss Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> there was a couple times where I was like, if Robbie was here, this what where the guys just went, this would be going on a lot longer. Like we went back to our hotel, uh -huh. and I was like, if Robbie was here. This would just be the beginning of the night. Like they would, oh. they would be going there. Hey, I heard about there's a place downtown that's got all <laughs> Let's night. Just jump on the all night subway. ping pong. <laughs> I actually, I have been one to one of those places in New York, yeah. but um, it was like super expensive though. It was crazy how much it cost per hour. It is. It's boutique. Yep. Anyways, so yeah, we went up for the New Balance Bronx ten miler to New York City. We took the train, which. I really like. Yeah, I have to say train travel. So easy. We got to make that a thing. Yeah. I mean, I did that a couple weekends ago, too. It was great. Yeah. You got you and Kimmy took the train up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we did that same thing, which we did uh, when we went up with ASICS for the start of the uh, the van tour to Eugene. We went up there with them, and we got off on the at Penn Station, and we walked that mile with all of our bags. Uh -huh. Yeah, we made that mistake again. <laughs> I don't think it was it's a not mistake. that bad. It's not, it wasn't it just, that bad. It got real hot real fast, and you know you're carrying all the stuff. And I was thinking about how we had a long run the next day. It was well. So when I went up there with uh, my wife a couple weeks ago, we did the same thing. And then so, the, but when we got off, she got the directions, and it was to a property that our hotel used to own. Oh no! That was like a mile over a mile away. <laughs> 
and we got there and they're like yeah these are apartments and we're like <laughs> they're like yeah the other place is way over there and it was like a third of a mile from our from, from penn the, station oh no so, yeah. did you walk yeah so we, we ended up walking two miles with our full like duffel bags and everything it was awful so we ended up staying someplace that was really close to where we stayed last time we were up in new york on columbus circle but it was kind of like faux nice mm-hmm. like it it was i don't know how to describe it it was i guess it's what you expect from new york city it was like that yeah the look of it was Oh, this is going to be nice. That's how our the place like we you peel was. off one layer of this place, and it's terrifying. For sure. yeah, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, and I have to say something. You, we, Balt- Baltimore does get a bad rap. New York smells bad, man. Oh yeah, the smells are wild. Yeah, like I know in the harbor we have that pistachio tide <laughs> or whatever they're calling it that smells like sulfur. But even or then, it's that smells usually after it rains or something. Yeah, this. I mean, there's trash everywhere. Like right outside of our hotel was like this nesting ground for rats. Like they literally would just come down this little area and be all hanging out. Like there would be like five of them like all the time there. But it was, I I would tell you this, if you were a nature enthusiast, Mm. you would just be like, oh, because they weren't ugly rats. No, honestly, they didn't bother me. I was like, oh, look at the cute little rats. Like, you know, the ones in Baltimore, (laughs) those, those are scary looking rats. Yeah. These did you were, find a king? These were like brown squirrels. What, did you ever, did you find a king rat? Do you know what that is? No. You can look at the picture. Uh, do I Let want me to? See it. It's where their it. tails get all entangled with each other and they create a huge oh, circle. Oh, no. no. I don't know if that's like a real thing or just like, apparently there's pictures of it, so I guess it's real. Yeah, but could somebody have tied those rats together? I don't know. Why would someone do that? Meg, why would people? Okay, anyway. So we got there. When did we go up? Saturday. Yeah. And, and we, then we did the Bronx 10 miler on Sunday, but our hotel was six ish miles away from the start. So we're all training for a New York City marathon. We figured make it a long run. So we jogged over. Yeah. So we ran up the the west side mm-hmm. of um, Central Park, which actually it was kind of cool because it was all sort of uphill. Mm-hmm. And you also like when we finally made it, we, we started in the dark, so we didn't really get to see much of the park. But then when we finally got up past Uptown Harlem and that kind of stuff, like when we were crossing down, you see Yankee Stadium. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I hate the Yankees, so bleep them, but it's I cool mean, to see the stadium. The state, yeah, I mean, it's a to me, that's an iconic landmark. And yeah. You're, and you're rolling down, rolling down into the Bronx. And the start of the race was kind of cool because it's under, like it's an above ground part of the um, transit system. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like that bridge above you and we're like, you know, doing bag drop and the trains are like over over top of you and just Dig the it. energy. There was 12,000 runners. Yeah, I thought there was like 4,000. There's 12,000. 12,000? Yeah. Dude, that's a big, that's it's pretty huge. Big. I didn't realize it was that big. I thought it was kind of just We like were a- like walking uh, to the start and I was like, didn't realize the corral started at like Z or something and it was like every. By the way, Meg was double A. Corral was like like as high up as you can get a mile to the point where when we were running back, so it's an out and back this course and on our way back, like I'm talking mile nine, there's still people just starting. Whoa. It was crazy. It was really weird to know that like I was finishing the race and someone was just starting. I'm seeing people (laughs) like at my, like I'm like, they're only at mile two. And I I was also surprised to hear that it was hilly because I just... 
I don't know. I guess I always assume that New York that is. That was my mistake the first time I ran the New York Marathon. I was like, New York's flat. <laughs> yeah. And it's not. Most um, people would probably think the same about Baltimore. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is a hilly course. I didn't mind it so much. I kind of went in, you know, I knew we we're training for London. So it was like training run. Mm-hmm. So the six miles up was part of that. And then 10 miles. So it wasn't like I was like my eggs were in this basket where if I didn't perform well, I was going to be upset or anything like that. And so I, and I also knew that it was hilly ahead of time, mm-hmm. but Jarrett and I uh, started together. Meg, you started with, um, Brandon and Megan. Yeah. So since you were up front, how'd it go? Um, it was fun. I was, uh, it's the first time I've ran a race with a GoPro, which I have to say was kind of fun because when people see that you have a GoPro, they like get excited and wave. Like there wasn't a ton of spectators out there, but when I did see them and I would like show that I was filming with the GoPro, they'd they like all cheer. And so I, d- I did notice that when I ran with Kafuzi at Falmouth yeah. last year, like people go nuts. Yeah. And even people like even the runners around you, when they see that you're filming and they're like, you know, they pick up their pace or they try and do a little shout out. That's uh, funny. Cause I was running with the 360 uh-huh. and I pull it, you know, I extend the stick and I'm going through cause we we're going under this like tunnel mm-hmm. And I wanted to get that opening of the tunnel and that end of the tunnel. And the lady next to me, she's like, uh, which direction is that? You know, which direction is that facing? <laughs> she's running next to me. Yeah. And I'm like, it's 300. She's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, she's like, that's funny. Um, it, I Side note real Well, first off, I want to say, if you have a camera and people are cheering like that, do you think the effect, the morale boost of people cheering for you offsets the the negative effect of carrying a camera. 1,000%. Okay. Sweet. I, I, I actually camera. said to Megan afterwards, I said, running with the camera is a boost. Like okay. you would think it's a deterrent or right, it right. gets you down. But when you pull out the camera, it makes you re like think about your form and think about, you know, what's around you. It takes your moment out of the, it takes your head out of that moment see that. of working on the pace and just take like, you're like, looking around at what you're shooting. Like when I, I would take it out, there was a DJ mm. and I was like, Ooh, I want to get the DJ. So, you know, I'm, I was running at that time, mid sevens or whatever. And I pull out, you know, my, uh, stick and I'm working on that. And so for that 10, 15 feet of me doing that, I'm not thinking about pace or anything. Yeah, I'm just right. Going, I, I think it's actually a great way to kind of pull your head out of that. Dude, I'm going to just make a cardboard camera so it's super light and people will think <laughs> it's a camera and they'll start cheering for me. Well, that's the thing. They're not that heavy. No well, negative. So not this, that is, heavy. this is really funny. Is Thomas gave me two options to hold uh, two different GoPros for the race and then he was going to give the other one to Brandon. And I chose the one that had like a, like a heavier... Um, like a mount? Mount. I don't know why. It just felt like it would be better. But anyway, so mid-race... Of all things, I got a rock wedged into the energy arc of my <laughs> shoe, oh, yeah, yeah. which is not the first time this has happened. Yeah. To the point where I had to stop because it was like click, 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 click. Oh, man. So I had to give Brandon my GoPro <laughs> so I could like run up and pop this uh, pop the rock. rock out of my shoe. And when I handed it to him, he goes, oh, my gosh, this one's so much more heavy. Oh, wow. And I was like, I opted for this one. <laughs> like, I just thought it was more comfortable. I also think if you're just... Once you start with it, you're just used to it. Yeah, I I actually don't think it's a detriment at all. I ran, uh, did I do Charles Street 12 with a camera as well? I don't remember. I know I did a 
another race. But like ever since we started doing shakeout runs and stuff when I carry it, I, it doesn't bother me. Um, side note, can I do a quick side note here? Because yeah. I was looking something up. You guys ran right past the Royal Tenenbaum's house on your way up to Damn it. You were like a, a block away from it. I would have done the detour. Yeah, because I've, I've visited it once. It's pretty cool to see like it in real life. Dent. It's a <laughs> dent. There's a dent. There's a dent. Um, <laughs> anyways, Thomas and I like that part of the movie. That's like my favorite part. I love it. Next time we'll have to stop. Yeah. So anyways, but that was just quick aside, but. Seems like you had a good day. Uh, everyone finished fairly for for running twenty miles, throwing a long run in the middle. Seemed everyone did yeah. well. I only did like sixteen. Like only Jarrett, 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 uh, and uh, Reno and I all did sixteen. Jarrett, Reno, and I finished within seconds of each other, which was weird because Jarrett and I ran together until about mile six, and then he got happy feet and he wanted to take off, and I was just like, well, whatever. And um, uh, you think he's gonna do that in the marathon? Nah, I don't think maybe, but I think I think I I I feel like uh, we're gonna have a good time. Are we doing a pact for sure that we're all gonna run together? Me, you, and Jarrett. Is that what you want? Yeah, I say we do a pact with a caveat. Okay, like if the one of us can't like at least do a certain time. Uh huh. Like oh, probably me. Like if you have to start walking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> leave you. I don't think I'll have to start. No, you walking. won't have to start. I think you're fine. I think you'll be fine. Yeah, I will be since I mapped it out. Yeah, uh, I I think we'll be fine. I would, but like if like it's a pact until it's like okay. I think it's a at least a sub four pact. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Are we drinking beers or not? Have we decided that? I think that's the plan. I mean, I'm into it. I think. I think. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, a 12-ouncer, but, like, if there's a little bit, little bit you know, just... But before Donna, my PR in the half uh, was at Baltimore, of all places, and I drank mimosa mile three. So, you know, it works. Yeah. That was... A, there was one race that I did out here that was a trail race where they had margaritas on the course. Oh, wow. I don't know about that. And I, I just couldn't... I couldn't do it. Like, uh, like it's, like, a thing to do. It's, like, at mile eight oh, okay. of a 10-mile race. Yeah. And I was just like, mm, I, I don't want that. <laughs> at all the, the Harrisburg races, there's a guy that is always at the bad part of the race, like mile 20 or 10. It's probably the same guy. And he is a fireball table. Oh, wow. <laughs> which is like. Fireball actually know. isn't that bad. Like we did a fireball. We, we had a Faster Bastards fireball trail race. And what it really was, was there was, you know how like when the sidewalk isn't there and people walk and it kind of makes a dent in the grass. So it's like a path. <laughs> yeah. So there was one that was about. I think they call them know. wish paths. Yeah. Is it like 100, 100 yards? Probably. It was like 100 yards. And we did, you had to do a shot of fireball. And then we were doing the fastest time down this old dirt path. Uh, did you have to run? That was it? Like that was it? Yeah. We call it a trail race. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like it. And uh, it we did, well, we did it like multiple times. Like I had, I ended up doing it like two or three times. But the fireball didn't hurt while you were running it's when you stop running that you're like yeah oh all of a sudden you're you get that heat yeah not the heat from cinnamon yeah. just like alcohol heat. alcohol heat Oof. yeah but yeah new york was cool we i went back to i can't even pronounce the name of the place i went lapin meg can you lapin lapin what was the last um i forget what the quaint quaint it's yeah. a q something it's like a chain right 
I, I didn't know it, but I think it is because there it was only a few blocks from the one that we went to the first time. Yeah, it is. Le Pen. I, I think if they... I'm not going to pronounce that right. You can just spell it. But it's it, French, right? Yeah. But if they opened one of those down here, I, I'd, I'd be there every day. All right, breaking news, Meg. Uh, by the time people hear this, it won't be breaking news. But for us, it's breaking news right now. In the studio, we just found something out. Yeah, so everyone who submitted an application for the Boston Marathon for April with a qualifying of 2023 time. with a qualifying time got in. That's amazing. That's amazing. So our friend Betsy, who was worried about scraping by, congratulations. Yeah. Looks like you're going to Boston. Congratulations to everyone, everyone. who was worried about scraping by. Yeah. 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 That's amazing because I remember the year when I qualified <laughs> but didn't get in. Like I was so sad, and ah, oh man, that's such a good feeling. Do you know what's now? Do you know what's even worse though? There's people that are like, "There's no way I'm going to make the cutoff. I'm not even going to apply," and now they're screwed. I bet. Yeah, you think so? You think so? Oh yeah, I actually know people that that happened to last time. Why? They've learned their lesson. I think everyone's applying now. What? Why would you do that? Because you're like, what's the point? I'm not going to get in. I only. I think there's a very small group of people like that. Mm. Not many. Well, so what do you think the reason is that uh, the the submissions are lower? Um, Well, it's higher than last year. Yeah, but not by that. Not by that much, right? I don't. It could be that people who ran in. um, You people ran in the fall and ran in the spring. Yeah, maybe they're tapped out. If they did the October to April, maybe they're not going to go back. Like I just did too. A lot of things. Maybe people aren't. Maybe people got burnt out over the pandemic. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe running's dead. Uh, that's Excuse definitely not. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> we, we, you heard it here first. Running is dead. They also um, <laughs> we're, we're lowered, also losing our jobs. lowered the number of charity I runners. Will <laughs> oh, the, the charity runners are lower? Yeah. That's but great. I'm not sure if that really had an effect or not. Um, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, and uh, we've added non-binary. How many non-binary people? Or 22. 22. Hmm. And 624 athletes who have finished at least 10 consecutive Boston marathons. So How once many? you do that, you get to get in. You just get um, in. 624. Wow. I think if you live in Boston, yeah. you'd want to do that. Still, I don't think though, that's it, pretty good. I don't think you'd want to do that if you're like traveling from no. California. By the way, you know, you say it's so much easier for women to qualify than for men. But I will tell you, it's 13,000 men, 9,000 women. Oh, wow. I do think that the qualifying times, and I'm this is a compliment to women, not a diss. I think that women have gotten really strong in running, and I think that the gap between the men's qualifying time and the women's qualifying time, I think that I think it could be a little closer. Yeah, it's 30 minutes. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. But I, anyway. I honestly forget that. I think I talked about this before. I forget that there's like different. Like I just assume that we're all on the same level. I also think that they, because we run with so many fast women, I'm I know. just like we're. They're, is that the thing? Am I just running with too many fast women? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, but I also think that wouldn't it be cool if there was a division? Like, okay, I'm not talking about non-binary. I'm talking about if there was a division of people that, like, if a woman qualifies at the men's time, mm-hmm. like if she qualifies. Then she should. Well, I know you have. You're sub. You're two forty eight. That's uh, yeah. Like you qualify as a teen. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, but you reverse qualify if you qualify for that. I think you should get like there should be a special designation for yeah. Because like, that's that. that's 
That's pretty cool. Well, yeah. and you know that's one of Kira's goals is to hit the men's Olympic OTK. trials qualifying Whoa. time, which I guess is two eighteen now. Two, yeah, or two sub two nineteen. Yeah, or sub two nineteen. Yeah. yeah. That, that'd be cool. I think that there's something about that that's like kind of badass. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Because it's, it's crazy. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that's exciting. So I guess congratulations to everyone there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we'll be up at Boston this year. Yes. So shake, shake, <sighs> shake your booty. But you know what's coming up this weekend? Berlin. I know. Um, We're kicking off one of our train, fall marathon. One of our train to NYC people is going to be there. Wait, uh -huh. is Kipchoge running Berlin? Yes. Yeah. And so is Kira D'Amato. Oh. And do you know why she said she wants to win it? So that she can meet Kipchoge. Because she's like, chances are, if we both win, we'll both be now, here's the thing. on the stage they're both, together. They're they're both, Nike yeah. athletes. She could probably just be like, mm, hello. I know, but isn't it funny that that's how she would <laughs> look at it. Like it? Yeah. So, Oh, yeah. So, sorry, I interrupted you. You mm? said one of our trained at NYC oh, athletes yeah. is going to be there. Yeah, uh, actually. Mateo. I, Mateo. Are you guys sure it's not Monteo? <laughs> Positive. Sure. Okay, Ashley Mateo. Tony Monteo is going to be there. <laughs> We've got a couple faster bastards going. Uh, Fosto will be out there. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking. I was just talking to someone who's run Berlin just now, and they're like, the best thing about it is during Oktoberfest. Oh. So like after you finish the race, it's like psh, you go over and there's that's fun. Like get one of those barrels of beer that you hold. Yeah. In your hand is it a Stein? Stuff. Yeah, it's this time. I think that maybe 2023, believe in the run team, does Berlin. He thinks next fall? Yeah. All right, we'll see. I it's mean, think turnaround. about that. If that, Megan will have six stars. Yeah, I mean, you need to get that. Depending on if I uh, jump into Boston, I could have six stars. Yeah. Because we're going to do Tokyo in the spring. Yeah. How close is Tokyo to, to Boston? Very do you think too close? Yeah. Actually, it's a month. It's five weeks. Do you oh, think it, Tokyo is an insane um, idea to try to Boston qualify there? No, it's did, a flat course. Right? Did you? Yeah, you saw the runner explained it a really nice post on Instagram with all of the majors and the elevation yeah. courses, and that one is the flattest. And I think you have but, fast runners. But I think the weather is iffy. And also, I was listening to this podcast with Dina Castor, and she was saying, you know, they say it's a very physical race, like guys are like elbowing and stuff and she mm -hmm. was like well you know it'll be fine she got knocked over in the beginning by a guy elbowing her and then in the middle of the course some guy hit her from the side and she fell over like it broke her watch she was like all scraped up she dislocated her shoulder why would someone Damn. do that Apparently, Tokyo. it's just a very physical race. Hard in the paint. I like it, in a way. <laughs> That's all crazy. Right. It, we're going to have to have bodyguards. Yeah. <laughs> it probably had to get all that aggression out because it's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Welcome to Japan. <laughs> well, and also, like, you can't throw your trash anywhere, so maybe they're like, oh, gosh. Yeah, Don't that's a, that. that's a weird thing. Like, what are you doing with your Martins? Are yeah, you tucking it back into. No, I think they have trash cans all along. So why you just am I have to make sure? Why am I even going there? I know Robbie won't have any garbage <laughs> to look through. Gonna have to do what some real. Uh, Maybe they have like an underground like collection of garbage people that are into finding. They have like their secret locations. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited because if you think about it, we got London in ten days. Yep. By when the time this comes this out, basically comes out a, week. Like a week. Then we've got uh, New York. Then we've got Tokyo. If we throw Berlin in, 
We'll also be going down to Donna before that. Did I say Boston? Oh, you're going down to Donna? Yeah, not. I won't be racing the oh, marathon, okay. but we'll be down there. Okay. You coming? Mm. It's not enough. There's no. where you go get your BQ. Yeah, it's two loops. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you did the... If November, you, December, January. Oh, that's three months. All right, so what'd you do the half in? At Adana, one thirty. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, if you slow down a little bit on the first loop, say you ran a 135. Yeah. And then you did a 130 on the back, you're in. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. Think about it. Yeah. Just thoughts in my head. I'm really gonna. I'm not gonna throw any huge things out there right now, considering <laughs> I have four do. days of running under my belt since my <laughs> latest injury. So you know what's gonna happen though? You're gonna have real consistent, great training up until New York, and then, and then a you're gonna get gonna the start line. No, <laughs> yeah. no, and you're gonna be like, I've got all this fitness. I'm just gonna coast Rip. this one don't, in. Don't don't yeah. I've, the thoughts crossed know. my mind. The I thoughts crossed know. my mind. That's why I'm saying we have to make a pact because otherwise one of us is going to derail no, it. You know, honestly, You're all going to derail it. I, I, I will tell you this. If you go and we go, I'd love to do it all together and have fun and do it. But if you go and you're like, hey, I'm feeling good. I want to go for it. I would probably, it would probably not be till like the last six miles maybe. Yeah. I mean, we could do that. That's what, uh, that's what um, Jarrett and I did at Wine Glass. Mm-hmm. we had up to 20 and then let's see what happens yeah i you know i don't want to talk about it but the problem is it'll all be wasted because hopefully we'll be having so much fun before we get to 20 miles yeah we're gonna be like well what's the point <laughs> yeah busting balls right now we'll see all right we'll see we can figure it out we can strategize all right but yeah um should we talk about this shoe up here we should all righty. What am I holding, Meg? Hold yours. The uh, Saucony Triumph 20. Triumph, the insult comic dog. Well, the Triumph. Remember that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, with the little cigar. Yeah. His, his jokes were funny. It was like funny at the time. Yeah, very insulting. <laughs> you probably can't even do that stuff anymore. Uh, I'd have to go listen to some again. But yeah, they were usually pretty, yeah. pretty raunchy. <laughs> um. Anyways, we won't insult. I go this. back with the Triumph for a long time. I think I've even run a marathon in a pair of Triumph before. Really? Yeah, I was real. Were you triumphant, or did you? Were you? I mean, the back opposite? It, when I first started, I was just like a. They're hey, all triumphant, I, Robbie. Can, can I finish? finish them. Uh, that is yeah. True. Can I finish? Um, <laughs> um, no. no, I don't mean finish the conversation. Like that was my <laughs> like my goal back then. No, okay. Can I? I was finish? Like, Sorry for interrupting, dude. No. Can I please finish? <laughs> no, uh, the marathon. But um, the shoes come a long way. I almost didn't want to review this one because I didn't like the last version. I thought it was heavy and kind of clunky. And the ones before that were even worse. Yeah. What was that fit that they used to do uh, for a while? Uh, ISO fit. Yeah, that was terrible. They're still trying. <laughs> They're still trying to do some sort of yeah ISO fit but, technology. So, yeah, this shoe's different, right? Yeah. Well, one thing, I thought they were using Power Run PB. But as you can read on the side, Robbie, it's Power Run Plus. Yep. I'm not exactly sure what the difference is. It is that kind of popcorn material. Yeah. That, I don't... that expands to make the. Feels very squishy. Insole. Yeah. This one for me, I love the first run. I've done one run in it. We're going to do our first impression video. I came back thinking Megan was going to love this shoe. I was all excited. I was like, Megan, this is a great shoe, isn't it? 
And I really I need to put it back on because I felt like it was it felt firm to me. It felt uncomfortable. I don't know if I tied the laces too tight, but like the top of my foot hurt in the middle of the run. And I think it it might have just been a bad day for me. And I took it out on the shoe. I feel like it probably was because up until then you ran the SC trainer yeah. and the SC elite mm-hmm. um, three. Uh, and those are both pretty soft. Now this shoe is, uh, I would say to me, the closest shoe that this came to was a shoe that I absolutely adore, the Nova Blast 3. See, and this felt so different. Like I said, I need to put it back on and try it again. But, and even like, sometimes if I don't like the look of a shoe, that will that will deter me from, from liking it. But I love the look of this shoe. I It feels light. The foam feels good. I'm just not sure what happened. Dude, the last version of this had Power and Plus. It's all. That's why I thought this one did. It does. I can't remember. It says I get Power Run Plus on it. Yeah, they both have the same. Mis- oh, missile. I thought it said Power Run PB. No, 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 Power Run Plus. I don't know what Power Run Plus is. It's if... a TPU based foam. What is Power Run PB then? Uh, P-backs based. So that it writes P-backs based. And then the p- regular Power Run is just EVA based. It's a good thing they don't make it really confusing. Yeah. yeah. I, th- and then sometimes the midsoles are Power Run Plus, uh-huh. but the. Uh, or sorry, the, the insole, insole, the insole the, is like power on plus. Bed. Yeah, but the mid, but the midsole is power on or vice versa. It's like all very confusing. Yeah, it. I felt like this shoe, especially compared to the last one, which I really didn't like at all. I was like, wow, this one feels great. I was cruising. This is on tired legs after being in New York. I did take <laughs> Ralphie. I did take the run after a day off like you ran on monday in central park which i would have liked to done but i I we had had too much fun on sunday that when i woke up in the morning i was like there's no way i'm going for a run today (laughs) and meg's like i'm going for a run we're in central park i mean you you missed out on some views i did and i appreciate it and i would have liked to have done it but i think going and getting a cream filled donut was a better better (laughs) plan for me that day but I really like this. I thought it was smooth. The transition is great. I like the f- way the foam feels on this. It's such a better shoe. If someone Dude, liked the Triumph 19. I don't think you tried the 19. I think 18 was the last one you ran in. Okay. That's it, probably why. Because the last one wasn't that bad. Okay. Because I did not like. Yeah. Because. Are you sure I didn't do the. Yeah. Because there's four of us on that review. Yeah. But I think I got it. And I was just like, I don't like, like it. The, so I'm not going to review it. The, this one? Yeah. I got that one. Really? Yeah. I think I didn't like it. So I was just like. Robbie, do we have enough people reviewing it? And you're like, yeah. And um, I'm like, okay. Um, and But this one, if you like the 19, I guarantee that you're going to love this one. And again, I feel like Sockety is nailing the uppers. This one did need a little more cinching down than the um, some of the other Sockety's I've been wearing, like the Shift. People are already asking me, should I get the Shift 3 or get this? What's your gut? Uh, it's, it, I think this one may be more versatile. Like this one's more like a traditional shoe than the shift. But I don't know. I like running in the shift. I was going to say, you were all gung-ho about the shift. Yeah. you're gonna. I would think that you'd like this one better. It's a little softer. I know. Like I said, I'm going to try it again. I'll tell you guys what I think next week. I, we might have to do a between two shoes with uh, the shift in this one. Okay. So the stack height on this one is like four, four or five millimeters more. 
It does seem thicker. It's like 37 in this one. I think the previous one was 34. Okay. So what's the what's the drop? Or no, the previous one was 32, so it's almost five millimeters more. Yeah. Maybe that's what I was feeling like it was blocky. I don't think there's a lot of transition. 10 millimeter drop. Last year was eight. Yeah. This one feels like the transition is a little better. Yeah. Okay. 37, man. That's And it actually weighs like it weighs an ounce or so less than last year's version too. So, so that's the thing. Last year it was blocky. It was lower stack. So the transition I don't feel like was as noticeable. This one doesn't feel like a 10 millimeter. I was actually, when we, I was doing my run, I was trying to figure out what the drop was on it. it I don't, I would never have guessed 10 millimeters. I can't usually guess anyway. Actually the weight might be the same. It's weird. Cause Oh, here it is. Uh, the weight, it's a little less, not a whole ounce. It's like half an ounce less. It makes a difference. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, all of a sudden the triumph is back for me. I'm glad that we decided to, to review it this time. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, who, our guest this week, uh, Robbie, you talked to this gentleman. Yeah. Uh, it's not Laura. No. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks for putting that there. Why don't you try it again? <laughs> oh, wait, one quick thing. Since this has to do with last week's podcast, I did take my stitch out that you didn't want me to. Oh, okay. One of them. You didn't get the other one. It was just one. Well, there's just one left. Oh. Only one rose rose to the surface. You saw Karen just offered her nurse. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have known that. I just would have went there. Luckily, I have insurance. If I didn't have insurance, I would have just done it all myself. Chewed them out with your teeth. (laughs) I got Ralphie on that. Ralphie was trying to lick it earlier. I'm like, Ralphie, come on, dude. He smells the uh, Which I had to look that up because my... uh, (laughs) This is kind of weird. But I feel like growing up, your family was like, oh, yeah, just like let the dog lick it. It's like, that's a weird thing to say. It sounds very like Let redneck. Let your dog lick your wound? Yeah, so I actually Googled this and it was like, apparently it's a common like thing. Like it's legitimate or it's like so it's gross. some weird thing that I didn't, people do? I, I don't do it. But. Do you kiss your dog when <laughs> but, you were growing up? Did you let him lick your I was like, Robbie doesn't even have a dog. Like, oh, why? yeah. <laughs> you did? Yeah. You would tongue kiss your dog? Oh, tongue kiss? Me? Yeah. You'd no. let him lick the inside of your mouth? No. <laughs> yeah, you did. It's a different story. Um... Only if they, oh, only if they asked nicely. I remember I saw. Only if they took me out to dinner I, first. I went to a friend's <laughs> house and I and he hadn't seen his dog in a while. Like it was in like college or whatever. And he went up and he just opened his mouth and the dog started licking Ew. inside of it. And he's like, "What? <laughs> what? The dog's licking inside your mouth?" Look, like, so I googled weird. this because I was like, "Why do people think that?" And that is weird, though. By the yeah. way. It says, "Look, the belief that allowing dogs to lick wounds will help them heal is deeply rooted in human culture." So there's zero science. It's, it started in ancient Egypt. So maybe I'm part Egyptian. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's it continued through Grecian times and carried through to common folk culture. I will say. You are common I folk. Am, I am common folk. <laughs> <laughs> um, it says the there is. Let's go get some Bactine. It says there is some science to it, though. What is it? Dog that's- saliva and human saliva contain some ingredients that can help heal wounds. So you could, have some, you could have a human lick your wound. Oh, yeah. Crash. Are you interested? <laughs> <Down>. <laughs> okay. Enough wound talk. Uh, but all that to say, um, my running's been, we didn't talk about that, but my running's been good. That's good. You're coming back. Yeah. I'm Slowly not pay, pain free. So yeah. if we, I feel like, you remember how I used to always get injured doing stupid shit that had nothing to do with the running? Like I'd fall off a scooter or do a box jump or something yeah. like that. 
I feel like you're in that zone right now <laughs> where it's like, yeah, you would be fine if you just that, like it's not running that's hurting you. It's just life. Yeah, you're doing the stupid shit that gets you. Oh uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. Anyways, um, yeah. So today's guest is Jay Deshari. Not sure if I'm saying that right, but he is the founder of Mobo Board, but he's also uh, a coach, a like expert on biomechanics, which is how he invented the Mobo Board. It's kind of like a balance board that you do exercise with. By the way, I was doing that last night. It's pretty. It's pretty cool because the the mobo board uh-huh. so you would think it's just like oh it's a balance board but it the way that it works um and the exercise with it it works like your whole leg up to your hips and glutes so you're like you're working everything all right so like it's hard for us to picture what that means like, um, what are you doing like are you just standing on a board no so you do exercises while like kind of while standing on, on it, it. Okay. like but, what are the exercises uh so there's a whole bunch on his website. I was just doing ones where you kind of like hold a band, like you have, it comes with a band that you tie to like a doorknob or something and then like kind of do like rotational sorry, sorry. stuff. And then I did the one where you have like a TheraBand type thing where you like. Do you first just have to master not falling off of it? No, because it's not, it's not a balance balance board. It had, it's, it, it has two like rounded, uh, I don't know, pieces that, that you balance on it but it's not like hard to balance okay. do you know what i mean it's not like the one where there's a ball in the middle no and, like, no that's the one over. i have but i haven't been using because i messed up the top of it i need your sander and to clean up the top okay and then reapply okay stuff so i need to get your hand sander <laughs> all right i don't even want to know um but so it's so it's not particularly hard to do but it has um like an opening where your toes go so that it you're not like you kind of it works your actual full muscles instead of your toes like normally if you do an exercise standing on your foot your toes are like gripping the floor so you're yeah. not working your feet muscles so much but yeah so i don't know it works it's kind of cool um all right and the if you've already been listening to the podcast you know he's doing the tips so um, oh cool a thing or two yeah. i'll have yeah. to do that this week yeah. All right. It's off your plate. My tip is get someone else to do the tips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's our first check-in. <laughs> um, but anyways, I thought it was a good conversation. I think there's a lot to learn. He knows what he's talking about. So enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Jay Sherry. Here are some tips to help you have a better run today. Number one, it's really easy for us to get sloppy with our posture and let our back arch in the back seat. As you're running along, I want you to think about taking your rib cage and dropping it down in front. You can imagine you're wearing a heart rate monitor that weighs about 15, 20 pounds, gonna sink your chest down and keep your posture better aligned for your stride. All right, so today on the show, we have Jay Deshari. He is a physical therapist, teacher, biomechanics researcher, and author of a couple books, Running Rewired and Anatomy for Runners. Uh, your bio is actually pretty long. You're also the founder of Mobo Board, which we're going to talk about a little bit. And the rest of your bio is very long because it seems like you've done a lot of cool stuff. So, <laughs> but welcome to the. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sign of uh, growth and wisdom, right? Um, <laughs> we hope 
<laughs> so welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about a lot of things regarding biomechanics and injury. Um, but maybe we can start out with giving a little bit of a background, uh, where you're from, kind of how you got into biomechanics, um, coaching or anything like that. And uh, yeah. Not for sure. No, thanks for having me, Robbie. Um, this is, yeah, my, 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 I'll give you the, the cliff note version. All right. uh, I was a swimmer growing up. And um, those of you who have a background in swimming know you spend a lot of time training and you develop these huge cardiovascular engines. And swimming is a very different environment than like most land dwelling sports like running, right? And so uh, I was l literally sort of forced to run in high school because they're like, oh, you're fit, you should run. And I was like, well, I don't run, like, just show up, you'll do fine. And um, I, I really struggled a lot because, you know, I, I was fit. I mean, I, I would, you know, I was one of the faster runners on the team, but I could only handle like, I mean, people are going to laugh when they hear this. I would run like five to eight miles a week, maybe 10 at the most. And I was like on varsity, right? Because right. um, I swam 25 hours a week. And um, I just got really frustrated because I kept getting hurt. I had all these aches and pains. And, you know, you go to the doctor and like, oh, well, if running hurts and swimming doesn't, then don't run. And I just thought that was a stupid answer. I was, you know, in my teens at right. the time. It's like, well, you can do anything when you're a teenager. Um, you can make lots of dumb decisions too, but anyway, so <laughs> for sure, we won't talk about I, uh, this on the podcast, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, we'll keep that. <laughs> but you know, that kind of fueled an interest in myself. Like, you know, why do why do these things happen, right? And and I remember I saw. PBS had some special I happened to see where they're putting little markers on people and analyzing movement. I'm like, oh, that seems pretty cool. Like, I'd love to do that one day. And like, you know, there's no job description for that, right? But I just thought that was neat. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I went to ended up going to PT school and um, realized that a bunch of stuff I learned in school didn't really work. Um, and uh, so I, I, I treated I, I patient sport and spine patients for about five years. And then basically, uh, we had a new. Um, uh, department chair at University of Virginia, and she came down and had a huge startup fund, and we actually got the second instrumented treadmill in the entire world oh, wow. um, in our lab. And so those of you who don't know what that is, an instrumented treadmill is kind of cool because it's not just the regular treadmill that goes, but yes, it goes up and down. It goes to 21% grade, 19% downgrade, which people are like, yeah, I've done it before. But this tool allows you to measure things that happen over multiple strides, right? So okay. a lot of the research that you read in, in the running world is like, you know, there's a little force plate, which is a little box in the center of the room. People run over and have to hit the box and Problem is, people can see the box, right? And so they kind of <laughs> slam down the box to make like, like a quote good stride, and uh -huh. it messes up your mechanics, right? You don't see really steady state um, reality, right? And so, uh, instrumented treadmill allows you to capture, you know, strides for a few seconds, a few minutes, several hours, right? And actually, really see what happens over time. And so, um, I've been using these these types of, you know, nerdy biomechanic tools for two decades to look at things. And, um, and I, I, I don't mean to say it's cocky any way, shape or form, but I, I'm pretty sure I've done more individual gait analysis than anyone else in North America, maybe the planet. Wow. Um, because, well, because what we did was, yes, we did research and I published a bunch of stuff, but one of my big aims is, you know, and again, for those of you listening to this, we can talk about advice, certain conditions, right? But at the end of the day, you need to know what it's going to matter to you, right? And so one of my big tool, uh, big themes in my career has been how do I take this gross body of knowledge and make it an N of one, 
you know, yeah. scenario, meaning how can I apply this to what you need? Because it's not what your training partner needs. It's not what your best friend needs, right? I want to find out what you need as a runner. Right. And so um, I've been doing this for a long time. And it's pretty interesting because when you look at things, you know, not just – let me back up for a second, right? Like research shows you the average result of an average intervention applied over a very specific population, right? And mm-hmm. you may or may not be that type of specific subject, right? And so right. Um, you may or may not have things applied a uniform way. You may do things differently. You have other stuff going on in your life besides just this one training tip or tool or whatever, right? So um, a big goal of mine has been how do I make things relevant to you and how do I find out how I can help you? And then all this stuff has kind of risen up over the surface, right? The stuff a lot of people would think is noise, but it's like, okay, you start to put things together, right? And when you see this in someone's running form, how does that equate to their mobility and stability? And then how, when you do a musculoskeletal exam on someone in my clinic, how does that relate to their running stride? And so I sort of put these things together and, um, and I've been really focused on sharing this through teaching. Uh, I've been teaching a lot over the past a number of years, uh, and thankfully starting back up again uh, in a few, actually in a few weeks, uh, with some um, in-person courses again. So yeah, it's been fun. And then I wrote um, Anatomy for Runners and Running Rewired to try and kind of spread this along, the, you know, among the the, uh, the running community and. Done a bunch of research with a bunch of different uh, national governing bodies, a bunch of athletes. I've been lucky to work with over 50 different Olympians um, in my career and, you know, trying to find out, you know, what are people's rate limiting variables in terms of staying staying healthy, right, uh, mm-hmm. is obviously really critical. And then how do you really dig through the weeds and find out those performance blocks that limit you from reaching your potential? And I think those things have been the biggest, the most fun aspect of my career. How do we find out how to make people better? Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way, it's almost like figuring out a specific type of puzzle that just keeps changing and has a thousand different variables. <laughs> that uh, Nine-step logic problem, yes. Yeah, right. Um, so th- I was, I'm interested because you said that you know, you know, the challenge here is taking this broad subject, which may be biomechanics or gait analysis, and then, uh, you know, explaining it in a way or, or having, you know, that, that everyone can use. So even despite the fact that we do have specific uh, lifestyles or other things that may be affecting it. So how, how do you do that where you take that, you know, broad analysis and apply it um, directly to individuals? Yeah, I mean, I think you measure, right? I mean, there, there's, you know, it's like people always say, oh, well, sh- this hurts. What should I do? Well, like, we have tools like an x-ray to see if you broke a bone, right? That's <laughs> right. pretty uniformly expected and understood. And, you know, we've got some tools and technology that can really shed a lot of light on someone's running stride, right? So it's a, you know, it's funny that, you know, with the social media world, I got drug into some discussion a few weeks ago and somebody Uh-oh. made some post on how, you know, yeah, it's it, it's funny, right? But yeah, <laughs> somebody made some post on how coaches can't see efficiency. I'm like, of course, <laughs> I can't either, right? Like, I can't just look at someone run and tell if they're efficient or not, right? And you know, we live in a world where there's people fighting, saying, unless you're a four foot striker, you're not really a runner. And then some people who understand things go, no, it's not really true, and then they fight. And it's like, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you contact your 440 rear foot, there's people who'd both really well, right. um, and there's people who'd both really wrong, right? And like that's just one element of a running gait or running style. And you know, there's a bunch of other things to look at. And so, you know, we have tools in biomechanics labs to 
kind of pick people's stride dynamics apart and say, hey, look, like, are you landing in the right distance away from your body? Are you landing um, with, a, with the correct amount of force? Are you landing, uh, you know, in a way which is allowing you to be explosive off the ground, right? And capitalize on the elasticity in our tendons. And we can measure all these things. Yeah. And, um, and no, it's not cheap. And no, it's not accessible to everyone, right? But, but we can do this. And I think that, you know, once you start looking at these things a little differently, not asking the right questions, right? And the right questions are are not just are you landing your four forty rear foot, right? The, right. There's a lot more questions. So that was that's uh, one of the one, things uh rear I actually wanted to hit on that real quick because there a lot of times I think beginner runners, I know for myself when I was starting out running, you you just want to learn all about running. So maybe you're watching YouTube videos of which there are many, uh that, you know, whether it's like <laughs> I think we know some of the heavy hitters out there, but that, you know, accentuate forefoot running or uh, you know, this certain type of uh, leaning forward or, you know, whatever type of gait. And it's, and I feel like as a beginner runner, it's so overwhelming, like taking in all this data that things you're supposed to do and that I don't know if it's true or not. And uh, <laughs> I feel like it's so hard to adjust and actually do those things too. And I wanted to get your insight into that, um, you know, just um, how important are those things or if, I don't know, just like your insight into that, I guess, because it's something that I feel like a lot of beginner runners try to adjust or think about like right off, the, right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, tell you what, let's, I'm going to put two things out there that I hope we can circle back. Um, postural control and a lot of like, proximal stuff running that is like kind of hip drive is mm -hmm. really really important to think about aside from that i do not cue and by cue i mean tell someone to land forefoot or rear foot or whatever and, and here's why um what really matters this is what this is what's gotten lost in, in the weeds right the conversation i don't care if you contact on your heel your midfoot or your forefoot what I do care about is where your foot contacts in relation to your body. Mm -hmm. And so let's, people use this word overstriding, right? So mm -hmm. um, the idea is that the people who overstride have really long kind of a loping stride and they contact very far in front of their body, right? right. And so one of, the, one of the things about running that's important to understand is um, running is all about elasticity, right? If you think of rubber band, right? You basically stretch rubber band, it recoils. You stretch and it recoils. And and the idea about running is you you use this, you throw this elastic energy around and, and your tendons, right? Your tendons are the big elastic bands in your body. And so muscles' job is to hold tension in the system, right? They basically um, actually almost like, imagine you just kind of flex your bicep and hold it like in a locked position. That's really what your muscles do. Your muscles actually don't change in length a whole lot when you run, they basically just apply this tension. And the work, right, that actually moves along, that comes from that storage and release of energy in those elastic bands, those tendons. And so when you contact too far in front of your body, what happens is you let that tendon stretch and recoil, but you also force your muscle to have to mm. increase and decrease length as well. And that's just wasted energy, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need to do that. So one of the big things is a lot of runners can benefit, okay? Um, again, we say... Everyone should do these things all the time, always. Not really, right? But I would say that um, you know one thing it does hold true is you want to land as close to your body as you can for a given speed, okay? And so if you're running, um, let's just say if you're running a nine-minute mile, you're going to have a certain swing of your leg beneath your body. Mm -hmm. And if you're running a seven-minute mile, you're running faster and you have to have a longer stride length, right? So as I'm saying, I can't tell someone you should always land exactly, you know, 1.04 meters in front of your body every right. step because things change, right? And there's uphills and downhills and there's asphalt and concrete and trail. There's so many variables in here, right? But 
if you land too far in front of your body, so I'm not suggesting a heel or heel strike. I'm just saying if you land too far in front of your body, you wind up asking your muscles to do more work than they need to, and you you decrease that elastic energy. And so what happens is you wind up being less efficient over time. Now, so some people say, well, contact on your forefoot, right? And the reality is it's, I wouldn't say impossible, but it's definitely feels more abnormal to contact your forefoot if you overstride, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of people who've played this and had success with it, you've had a lot of success because that's cued you to bring your foot closer to your body. Another way to do this is focusing on cadence, right? If we tell people to increase your, your number of strides you take in a certain period of time, right. that doesn't give you time right. to stride very far out in front of your body, right? So that's another way to sort of bring that foot contact back a little bit, right? So there's a few different ways that you can bring your foot a little bit closer to your body. Um, and, and what that does is that capitalizes on that elasticity, right? So the more elastic you are, the more efficient you're going to be because it's less work your muscles have to do to try and get you from point A to point B. Right. Okay. I got you. So one of the things I have though is, well, sorry, I'm interested to know how you, uh, the advice that you give people or directions to adjust so that they are making those well adjustments and landing in the correct spot. Because I feel yep. like whenever like I have had some gait analysis done before, um, at uh, places around like a physical therapy place around here where they're just testing some stuff, some stuff out. And I get the data. I see the, see the stuff they They give me some recommendations, but I feel like I do it for one or two runs and I'm like, ah, I'm just doing whatever I normally do. And so what does it know? How long you have to like, <laughs> you basically have to put it into practice before your gait actually changes. And if that's, I guess reasonable to ask for most runners. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're asking a great question and a very loaded question. Okay, so <laughs> l- let's back up for all a right. second and and use a little visual. I think about all the time. So imagine a grandfather clock, right? Grandfather clocks are tall and maybe skinny or maybe wide, whatever, but they're tall. Mm-hmm. And then they have a pendulum that swings sort of front to back, right? Mm-hmm. So keep that in your head for a second. So there's sort of two things here which really are important. And one of the things which I, I kind of hope we circle back and we can hit it right now is the idea behind postural control, right? I'm not talking about standing upright like in a military stance, but I'm talking about having some semblance, semblance of where your upper body is in relation to your lower body, right? Okay. So um, – Forget your leg swing for a second. Just think about your body, right? And okay. you can just practice this if you want to be standing up. Just stand up. And, and so as we go through this, right, if you stand up in a neutral stance, now everybody has a little bit different shape of their spine, right? Some people have more curve, some people have less curve. That's fine. Again, I'm not looking to change your anatomy. That's just who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think about standing nice and upright, when you stack your rib cage over your hips, right, you should have weight kind of centered between the heel of your foot and the ball of your foot. That should be pretty much even, right? Right. And what happens is a lot of people tend to stand, just not run, just stand throughout the day with their rib cage and their torso leaning backwards. Oh, dude, that's me 100%. Hips, right? Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> This is one of those really important things, right? So if you tend to stand or walk and run in what I call a backseat position, your grandfather clock is leaning back, mm-hmm. okay? So even now, so now think about the swing of that pendulum, right? Your leg is going front to back, front to back as you're running. But if your grandfather clock's leaning back, you're always going to be, quote, overstriding, right? Mm-hmm. Because your, your foot's leaning too far in front where your body is. We call that center of mass. It's a fancy right. way to talk about this. But so we have to bring your rib cage 
over your hips, number one. And that's not a core weakness problem. It's not a strength problem. It's just a habit issue, right? We just tend to stand in that kind of backseat position and we want to try and change that behavior. That's not a running problem, right? It's just mm-hmm. a, just a little bit of a, it's almost like if your mom says, hey, try this, you know, and bugs every once in a while, you can change these things. And then, so we want to see that habit change when you're walking, when you're standing. And then yes, obviously when you're running, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to give people cues on how to incorporate this in while you're actually running. So let's do it right now, right? So if you want to play with this for a second, okay, yeah, everybody can stand up. Yeah. All right. I'll stand up. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> if you're so listening to I the want podcast, you to stand I'm up. standing up for real. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I want you to do is place your right hand on your belly button, and I want you to place your left hand on your rib cage or your chest somewhere. Okay. And so just relax, just be nice and loose. And again, let's play with this drill. So if you find yourself somebody who tends to have most of your weight on your heels, what I want you to do is keep your belly button uh, in your right hand where it is and take your left hand of your chest and sink your chest forward just a little bit, okay? Not to where you're bending forward, but to the point where you feel your weight split between your heels and your forefoot. And then now I want you to go too far, like keep bending forward. So drop that chest, drop that left hand, and you'll find weight going to your toes. You almost kind of, uh, kind of grab the ground with your toes. That's not what we want. That's too far forward. So then go back to a point with your, where you're stacked, right? And you should feel weight split evenly between the heels and the ball of your feet. And now I want you to take your hands down away from your body, and I want you to shine your palms forward. And what this does is this opens up your shoulder blades, okay? And this is a little thing I want you to practice like five, ten times a day. It takes three to five seconds to do this, right? And just show your body that you can find this position of rib cage kind of stacked over your pelvis. And then I want you to go and just walk around and do your thing and think about keeping your rib cage over your pelvis. Another little tip you can do is take your pinky and put it on that bump in front of your hips, in front of your pelvis, called your anterior superior iliac spine, right? It's a little bump in front of your in front of your hips. Now take your thumb, and I want you to now uh, open. So your pinky's on that little spot in front of your hips, and put your thumb on any rib, okay? Just until you find a little rib cage, right? And now I want you to do me a favor, like pretend your thumb and your finger is like a vice, and it's locking the rib cage down over your hips, and go just walk around your house, walk around your office, walk around wherever you are, and practice the idea about when you move forward, you keep the rib cage stacked over your hips. And for a lot of people, this is like a huge light bulb to say, oh, I've never felt this idea behind keeping those two kind of segments in line. Because when we tend to walk, we a lot of us tend to let our upper body slouch back and go in that back seat, and we change where our torso is in relation to our hips. Ah, okay, I see. Those little drills are so, so, so critical to practice throughout the day when you aren't running. And again, like just Try that little thing, right? Yeah. Stack your ribs over your pelvis, put your hands in position, go walk to get a glass of water out the kitchen. Like, don't make this super hard, right? Yeah. And when you're running, what I want you to do is go for your run. Don't do an overthink things, right? But every, let's say, like maybe quarter mile to half a mile, stop for like two seconds. Don't worry. Your heart rate won't go down, okay? <laughs> and stop for two seconds and recheck that position, right? Like, is your torso still stacked over your pelvis? Mm. Most of us, as we fatigue, tend to go back to bad habits, which mm-hmm. will be kind of putting our back, you know, putting our, our body in the back seat again. So, just becoming aware of these things and not, you know, chastising yourself, but trying to put these things in your normal pattern, just kind of awareness, 
are huge, right? Because yeah. you should be able to get in these good positions when you're running flat, when you're running uphill, which is pretty easy because everybody has a little bit of a forward lean running uphill. So we tend to, it's easier to find good posture position uphill. But running downhill, so many of us lean backwards. And again, force to overstride and you wonder why your quads are all trash, right? So <laughs> right. really paying attention to these positions is really, really important. And again, we didn't talk about foot strike at all just now, right? Right, right. But what we just did, that's a huge, huge, huge stage to make sure you're contacting in the right, or you say your foot contacts in the right place where your body weight is. Now, how much of our culture of sitting all day, um, going home, sitting on the couch affects, you know, even if we are running for an hour, we're still, a lot of us work in offices, work in cubicles, do, you know, don't have a very active uh, jobs. So how much does that affect the general posture and then what you're talking about? Yeah, a lot. I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, people say that, you know, sitting's a new smoking. Right, I, I don't right. know. I don't get involved in these kind of crazy <laughs> things, but I would say that, you know, the, the, the more time you spend practicing lazy behavior, the more you're reinforcing it. Right. Makes so, sense. you know, it is possible. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's real simple. You can sit with really poor posture. You can sit with really good posture too. Right. You mm -hmm. can stand with, we just, we, we just proved the point. A lot of people can stand with bad posture as well. Right. Right. So right. People who say standing desks will save the world. <laughs> not always. Right. I, so, I speak from experience that as someone who has a standing desk, it does not correct your posture. In fact, it might even make it worse. No. Yeah. So uh, it's like, you know, just, just I think that paying attention to these things is really critical. And I think that some of us, you know, we do what we do for, you know, like you said, 23 and a half hours of a day. And then we expect to put our running shoes on for a half hour run on Tuesday and look perfect. Like, good right. luck with that. Right. So. Um, so I know you said that in, in that situation is said, don't worry about your core. Don't worry about this. But in the, in the same way, how much does strengthening your core affect that or is that a totally separate thing from the posture and, and everything yeah no and, and to be clear i don't mean to say don't worry about your core oh, i would right, say that right. um the yeah the biggest thing is just awareness of position first right so you can think about um if you're doing a bicep curl maybe it's a really good example here right but if you're doing a bicep curl you can curl the weight right with good posture or you can curl it with bad posture right mm -hmm. so it's like you can still do things um but if you're running in that kind of backseat arch back position what happens is you're going to be doing things to change a bunch of your dynamics and so the first step is just awareness find the ability to stack your rib cage over your hips right make that sort of something you can sort of find on command, right? So again, like you may go run today. For those of you who are trying this, you may go to for a run this afternoon and try this out and go, okay, after my first quarter mile, oh yeah, I was still good. I kept my torso where I should be. And then you go run another quarter mile again, you stop for two more seconds and you check it out and say, oh, I still feel like I'm in position. And then like, you know, this goes on and after a mile and a half, you notice, well, when you stopped, that kind of awareness of, you know, wearing a weight, and then you find your, your torso is kind of in that backseat position and you lost an awareness. Again, don't worry about it. Just drop forward and keep on going. Now, you should be able to strengthen into these new positions. So when we talk about core work, what I want to do is I want to give you that awareness of where, you know, again, keeping your body in line and adding things that are really important. And so it's a great time to talk about the fact that we don't need to just do crunches all the time, right? <laughs> um, uh, because crunches are working on flexion, which is curling forward. And that's, you know, while you run, I mean, I can tell you right now, when you run, your spine is going to flex forward and back about, you know, five to eight degrees, depending on a few little things, right? And you're going to side bend about uh, two to seven degrees, mm -hmm. and you're going to rotate between six and, and 12 degrees, right? And so 
we have some motion. It's not huge, right? We have motion. And so just like I said, that you know, a crunch isn't going to fix the world. Those of you who rely on planks for all your core training, that's also not great either because planks are what? Static, right? When you run, we just said we have to have a little bit of motion, mm. right? So I, I like um, core moves that actually introduce rotation into things because when you run, you're always counter-rotating or twisting your upper body and lower body. And also, rotation is a really healthy motion for your discs, and it's very non-stressful to the joints. So rotation-based core work is really, really important because we keep that sort of neutral-ish spine position, and we introduce rotation, which really gets the muscles in in a running-specific way, and that's the whole goal. If I can't get stuff to translate in your running form, I'm wasting your time, right? Yeah. I need to make things very relevant. And so if you can learn to have some loading, right, while you're introducing rotation in a neutralist position, that stuff I find really transfers well into awareness, which helps you transfer into your gait, which is the whole point, right? To make things, yes, more durable and also get rid of pain if you're having back pain or whatever. But like more importantly, like make sure this really has an important role in improving the efficiency of your stride. Cue number two. Remember, as you run, you have to breathe. It's really easy for us to round our shoulder blades forward and tense up our neck. I want you to do me a favor. Let those shoulder blades sink back and down, and I want you to think about lengthening the skin in the back of the neck to help you get better breath for better leg power. Uh, I do want to get to the mobile board because what you just described, I feel like can... Uh, the mobile board helps a lot with that and you designed it for those purposes. But real quick, I wanted to see what kind of the gate from the gate analysis you've done and you're talking about overstriding and certain, you know, where you land and all that. What, what kind of injuries do you see uh, from runners who, who have incorrect gait or are overstriding? And then um, when they, when you make these adjustments, uh, you know, how, how does that help them? Yeah, it's a great question. So number one, I mean, the, read, read every research article ever written, right? The number one uh, pain site in runners is, anterior, is front side knee pain, right? Mm-hmm. So um, again, when you contact to and far in front of your body, you will increase the leverage and the we call the torque on the knee, right? So um, by moving your foot strike closer to your body, you can greatly minimize uh, the stress in the knee, like the neighborhood of like 10 to 30%, which is pretty significant, right? That's yeah. every single stride. So that's number one. Um, you also see lots of problems with like shin splints here too, because again, when you, if you contact your in front of your body, too far in front of your body, you have to lower your foot down for a longer period of time. Yeah. Um, and if you contact closer, it's just less stress. You have to, you have to endure in your foot and ankle. Um, so, and then also, um, for like, um, yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of, uh, lower leg issues, uh, like, you know, shin foot issues can be reduced. A lot of knee issues can be reduced. A lot of back pain can be reduced too, because again, when you overstride, you're basically putting a big shear load on your spine. So yeah. those of you who have had back pain when you run, um, that's another issue to think about. So th- there's a, again, like when you just change where your foot contacts relation to your body, a number of things get, um, stress less in terms of impact and body control, right? And then a number of things get more efficient because again, we're talking about improving that elasticity of those rubber bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting because one of the one of the recurring, it's not really an injury because it doesn't happen that much, but if I'm ever in a, say, pick up the pace at the end of a really long run, like 20 miles, or if I'm, 
in a race. Uh, this ha- th- I feel like this has happened in a lot of the marathons I've done or at the end of a half marathon um, when I'm trying to really like finish out strong or, and now I get a pain in my knee that I like will never have any other time, but it's, it hurts like hell. Um, and I have to run through it for the next three miles or something. And it it does slow me down a little bit, but I feel like it's probably due to overstriding from being tired at the end of a race or, or picking, you know, running faster while being tired, I guess. So, so this is an excellent point. So I have a whole list of like things you should be able to do, right? Like, <laughs> and one of those things is you should be able to swing your leg freely front and back behind your body without cheating your, your posture alignment, without, mm-hmm. you know, tilting your pelvis forward, without changing your back position. And like, and the reality is like, I tell people, let's just think backwards. You just told me point blank, Hey, when I'm tired and fatigued and really trying to crush my home stretch, my form is falling apart to the point where I end up overloading my knee. Uh And I would say that's not a fitness problem at all. That's a, hey, we have to get you to train to maintain posture alignment, not just for a 5K or a 10K, but if you're running a marathon, (laughs) you have to get a whole position for a full marathon, right? Like otherwise, it's a waste of time, right? Um, I have a great uh, slide I teach with from uh, NCAA's – like over 10 years ago now. Um, but, uh, but it's a great slot. I have people going off 800 meters. And what you see is, you know, eight finely tuned male specimens running along with great posture alignment and great stride dynamics. And 200 meters from the finish, half the field fatigues, right? And what happens is you can see visibly their ribs flare up, their backs arch, their pelvis rotates forward, and they wind up collapsing their, their alignment, right? And guess what? Within a few strides, four people are out the view of the wow. television cameras. Okay, they are working harder to run the same exact speed as the other four people. But guess what? Other four kept their alignment and came through, and boom, boom, boom. Right. So, you know, what you just described is this idea behind, hey, let's work backwards and give you the posture awareness. Number one, the postural durability. Number two, as much as we talk about where that foot contacts in front of the body, it's really important to make sure we can have that leg swing freely back behind the body. So what happens a lot is that your hip muscles fatigue out, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of runners don't have good hip extension control. And when I say drive your hip back behind you, 90% of the time I see the pelvis and low back go with it, right? And we want to make sure that you're training the ability to drive your, get, get, what I call hip drive is, can you drive your hip back behind your body without cheating your pelvis and spine position? And that's something you have to work on, right? Yeah. Um, I've got lots of exercise in my books on this, there's lots of stuff online, whatever, but I don't care whose stuff you follow, but like that is an integral part of your training okay. uh, as a runner to make sure you can do that when you're tired and fatigued. Yeah. Um, and I have a little, one little workout I actually have in my books is, this little workout where you go to some, some – you're a warm-up, right? And you go to a little – four moves which take you like two minutes and you go do some strides and you do these moves again. You go do some more strides. You do these moves again. It's trying to just put that into your brain that you want to make sure you're keeping that hip drive um, forefront and center as you're actually running. And it's a great little awareness drill to try to build those mechanics. Is that something that like, we could put in our, our description of the podcast that uh, our listeners – For sure. Definitely. Okay, yeah. I'll make sure to get that yep. from you afterwards. Um, Definitely. And I've also got a video of that little posture check I can share with you as well. Oh, that'd be great. Awesome. Um, yep. So let's move on to your to the MOBO board, which is something that we just got in, into the office a couple of days ago. I haven't actually been able to try and test it out yet because I've uh, anyone follows here knows I've had another crazy injury um, unrelated to running. But 
Um, yeah, let's talk about the MOBO board and why you invented that and how that can help runners, um, you know, strengthen their feet or maintain uh, mobility or posture and, you know, the, I guess the whole, the whole chain running chain. And, um, yeah, maybe yeah. you can just talk about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of my big things in my career has been, again, like how do we prepare our athletes for success? Right. And so, um, you know, while we live in an industry, which is like, you know, buy these 50 recovery products, I'm not saying any things are bad, but like, I think the biggest thing is runners don't go in a, into their sport prepared. Right. And so just like we talk about preparing posture awareness and, you know, hip drive, we also need to prepare the foot and ankle for, for the stresses of the sport as well. And so, um, you know, it's the reality is if you walked into any PT clinic 10 years ago, quote, standard of care is taking a TheraBand and just move your ankle in <laughs> and out and up and down. And like, this right. is stupid. Like, I'm sorry, it's <laughs> dumb, right? Like that doesn't in any way simulate the stresses you've got to deal with during things like running. Um, and so, you know, I, I said, I said, there's got to be a better way to train people to use the range of motion they do in their foot and ankle, which is pronation and supination. Those are not bad words. They're just mo words that describe motion. Like we say, we flex and extend your elbow. Mm -hmm. You don't call the feet. We don't talk about flexion and extension. We talk about pronation and supination. But those are normal, necessary motions, and you should be able to control them. And I saw all these things and people cueing exercises, and I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And you know, what happens is we give people exercises and and patients go home and do things wrong because the details do matter and people lose sight because we have busy lives. And I said, look, would it be cool if I could develop a tool that would sort of cue slash force um, people to, to move correctly? Um, and so I went to work in my basement with a jigsaw, made a few prototypes. Um, then I said, okay, I'm going to try and make some more of these because I can't make more with a jigsaw. So I bought a CNC machine and figured out how to code that and, um, and make some more prototypes and then go to mass production. And so, yeah, Mobo is basically a, it's a tool that can be used to um, improve coordination and also strength and stability in the foot and ankle, right? But the cool thing is, you know, we talk about foot strength, foot strength, foot strength, but again, I don't treat body parts, I treat people. And so one of the things that's important is you can't train rotation around the foot and ankle without also training rotation in the, in the hip, right? Upstream. So the MOBO is designed to have a certain amount of tilt um, to it to for to sort of cue you into improving rotational control around the foot and ankle and also improving rotation control around the hip. Yeah. And it's got a cutout on the little toes. And what it, that cutout is really key because it doesn't allow you to sort of use what we call the long flexor muscles. Those muscles are in your shin and those muscles control your little toes. And when we say do foot things, most people just kind of curl and grasp the ground. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And that's not how we walk and run, right? We need to learn to push off properly. And so if you follow this, this vector called the center of pressure, right, which is this line as it moves underfoot, um, we want to make, make sure you're putting force to the right place at the right time. And so MOBO sort of cues you to do that while you're having control rotation in your foot and ankle and also rotation in your hips, right? So, um, it's not something you use like a, as a quote strength tool, like, you know, you wouldn't do a, try and squat your PR on it, right? But it's <laughs> it's something designed to try and improve your coordination, improve your stability. Um, and it does that quite well. And I've been really happy with the results that people have gotten. And, and uh, that's that's the whole goal is that, you know, through books or whatever, it's about information, but sometimes people just need a tool and that's why I developed MOBO. So. Yeah, I like the idea that it, it combines not just the foot strengthening, but it 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 also, you're getting the, the hip mobility or the, the training for your, 
for that area as well. And I, I, I've checked out the exercise at least, and it you also use a band that you, for some of the exercises that you may like tie to a door, tie to something else that kind of like helps you do rotational type things. And, um, and then you also have some more like in-depth exercises for once you progress along that, right? Yeah, just like, you know, like anything, right? So lay the foundation. So again, like most people, when you say pronate and supinate, they look at you like you just, you know, introduce them to vocabulary words of death. <laughs> they get nervous. And I'm like, look, just, let's just, you know, I, I have these little first six little exercises called the foot six pack. And they're just designed to teach people, hey, like, let's get out of some bad habits and break things down and just really focus on nice, clean motion through the foot and ankle. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of sync that with some posture alignment? How do you sync that with your hip a little bit? Um, and, you know, most people should work on that for, you know, let's say, you know, a few weeks, let's say, you know, two to okay. four weeks, something that in that time frame. And then, you know, again, like once you pass those entry level exercises, then it's time to put things in a multi-joint control, right? Because sure. that's what I want you doing. I don't want you spending five hours a week doing stability work the rest of your life. I want you to, you know, it's always, you go to kindergarten, then first grade, then second grade, right? You, you're <laughs> right. constantly moving up. And so, um, you know, same thing for your running, you know, people say, what's the top strength exercises to do? Well, like the stuff you're doing today shouldn't be what you're doing six years from now. Like that's, you're failing if you're always just putting yeah. out fires, right? So, um, you know, we start easy. We start, you know, to reinforce habits and, and build some control. But then we have to put things in a kind of squat patterns and lunge patterns and deadlift patterns and more rotation patterns. And and then you're actually like, okay, wow, I'm getting a lot of bang for my buck. And, and that's the, that's what I want everybody to do, right, is get the most bang for you can for the time you're going to invest. Yeah. And I got to say, I love the design of it, too. It looks really clean. Like, I feel like I should be eating a dinner off of it. It looks so nice. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, if, if I went back and do it again, I'd become an architect. So I try to make it look kind of slick. So I yeah. love it. Yeah, <laughs> because most. I was telling someone this the other day. I feel like most uh, exercise equipment, especially for runners, is just like, man, I don't want this like sitting around in my room. It looks like a, I don't know, it's just a <laughs> random piece of foam or just. Uh, I don't know. It it just all looks ridiculous, and I want to. But this, I'm like, oh, this kind of looks cool just sitting in my living room. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it and it seems like it's been catching on. Like I, I've seen, like on your site, I saw that like the New York Giants use it the, the, in the for training. The a lot, a lot of Olympic athletes, I think, uh, Colleen Quigley, I saw, and some some others. Um, so it's how is that? Have you seen that help? help some of the athletes that you've worked with yeah it's i mean yeah so i mean we've been lucky right i mean um you know i I am i am not a big pr machine but i just try and get results and i think that a lot of the people i've worked with have you know tried out and got success and they've told their teammates and so forth so yeah uh there's a a I'll just say there's a lot of professional athletes using this. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of major league teams using this. Cool. Um, the military, it's in a ton of military clinics across the world. Um, and, and there's lots of, you know, lots of weekend warriors as well. So um, I think this is a big thing is, you know, like everything has trends, right? There was, you know, if you go back 20 years ago, you talked about core stability for runners and people were like, what? Huh? <laughs> you know, right. and over the past 10 years, like that's now mainstream, right? And then we had this whole conversation on hips and people were like, okay, I get that now. And then, you know, now it's like, oh, oh, the foot's important too. Really? Why well, have to think about that? <laughs> it's like, so it's just, you know, I'm trying to make things as easy as possible, right? So, so many people, you know, you look at foot and ankle exercises and they are nuanced and very detail oriented. And I just wanted to say, look, if you're going to put time in, I hope everybody does, MOBO or not, I hope you spend time on your foot and ankle because you need to train all your body parts. Um, But I designed it to be very simple, right? I mean, you get on there and do some things. It's really hard to do things wrong on the MOBO. so, well, like, um, what's the what's the yeah. balance board where it looks like you're gonna die on it? It's the first time you try it. Um, the one with the, uh, the Indo board. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like, uh, 
I mean, I've skateboarded before, but it still looks terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting too because this, this is an interesting conversation. Like, there's one person like sent me something like, "This isn't hard enough." I'm like, the goal is not to yeah, make right. this hard. <laughs> right? It's not a challenge. Like, it's not a physical that's, challenge. That's stupid. Right? Yeah. Like, this is not you know, this is not stupid human tricks you see on David Letterman you know right, years right. ago. Right? This is like, how do I really make things specific to what you need as an athlete? And so. That's why I developed Mobo, right? Like the Indo board is fun, right? To balance on it and surf and go back and forth. And I've sure. got one of those too, and I love them. Um, but that's not what Mobo is designed to do. Mobo mm-hmm. is designed to get you very specific rotation control through your mm-hmm. foot and up through your hip. And it does that very well. And it's very different than an Indo board. So people say, you know, and so, you know, the secret in the Mobo is the angle of the cut of, of the, how it rocks. And also that cutout again, really, really cues of foot and ankle control, um, in a very different way. And so Indo boards are much more about whole body kind of balance, which are great, but that's not going to clean up those habits that most runners kind of have with again, poor foot and ankle coordination. And again, also poor hip stability. Yeah. Like the number one thing I, I hear is from patients on Mobo, like, wow, I really feel my foot and my hip is surprisingly sore the next day. Wow. And it's like, yeah, that's the whole thing. We got to train that spiral, right? As we run, again, remember I said that we're always kind of twisting our upper body on our lower body. Right. It's that kind of rotation. So, so many exercises. If you can go for free right now and look at, just go to moboboard.com and you'll see all the exercises on there. Mm-hmm. But so many of them have a rotation bent to them because we're working on that spiral. The dorky word for this is something we call the free moment. It's this line of rotational torque that goes up through our bodies as we run. Um, and again, like most runners don't have good control of that and i can tell you if you do have better control of this you'll be able to have better endurance in terms of posture and again you'll make those rubber bands more efficient which means your running strides more efficient right. too okay so i gotta get to my main question which is i have a horrible ankle strength like it's so bad i'm well known among friends family and <laughs> listeners of this podcast and followers of believe in the run for rolling my ankles all the time um it's it's and it's honestly become quite an issue because i'll be marathon training and almost inevitably i'm gonna roll my ankle at some point when it might miss two weeks of training if it's a bad one maybe i'll get back in a few days if it's a good one um and it's really frustrating for me because i can literally just be walking down the sidewalk and just hit a tiny crack that's uneven and almost roll like roll my ankle and so yep. it's not like I'm being unsafe. It's not like I'm running trails. And I really want to change this. And I'm hoping <laughs> that the mobile board can help at least to some degree with ankle strength. And so maybe uh, that's my question. Can can it help with that? Yeah. So um, I'm going to put my uh, researcher hat back on. So we've actually done a lot of research on this, right? And so let's frame it for a second. If you tore your ACL and your knee, like that's like a major thing. People are like, oh, like I need to give it some time and attention. And like we're not going to go through all the stuff with surgery and everything else. But like that's a big thing, right? Contrast that with ankle sprains. People get an ankle sprain and, oh, I'll just wait three days and run it off again. Like that's not helpful, right? So let's back up and talk about okay. where a ligament is real quick and talk about why you've developed into how things have kind of gone for you. So – Ligaments are barriers, right? They're end range restraints. You can imagine if you're sitting in a room right now, you don't have to keep throwing yourself up against the walls to know where the walls are. You can kind of see the walls and you kind of tell where you are because you have eyes and vision and you can kind of feel things, right? Mm -hmm. And so in our body, our ligaments do prevent us from doing things like spraining, right? It's like moving too far, right? And getting hurt. But they're not just mechanical. You also have 
little neurons, little nerve cells in your ligaments that help your brain feel where you are. So if you just look at your hand right now and you open it, you can see it's open and feel it's open. You can close your hand into a fist and you can see your fist is closed and you can feel it's closed too, right? Mm -hmm. But if you close your eyes and you make a fist or open your hand, you can probably tell what your hand's doing without looking at it, right? That's called proprioception, right? That's position sense. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when you have a ligament tear, which is what an ankle sprain is, by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay, a sprain is a word for tear. I know people don't like to hear that because it sounds more aggressive, but it's what it is. And when you tear a ligament, what happens is you rip the tissue, right? And so ankle ligaments mo- most typically scar back down again um, into a nice wall, right? And they'll they'll heal at a rate of about seven, 97 to 98% of their original strength, which means they're pretty good, right? Not perfect, but they're pretty good. Right. But what the problem is, people don't realize... When you tear those ligaments, you tear the nerve fibers inside. And those nerve fibers don't regenerate and grow back. We can't regrow neurons right now, right? And so what happens is while the wall becomes nice and solid over time between all your little sprains and rolls you have, you lost that position sense. And so that's why people keep re-spraining. And in fact, we've done research to show that people who sprain over and over again don't just put their foot and ankle in weird positions or on the ground. Even in swing, when, you're, when your foot's going through the air, right, it's not even touch anything, People with chronic ankle sprains tend to keep their foot more inclinated up to the inside, which means it's the it's the dangerous position when you come down. Like it's, you're more likely to sprain. And a lot of that goes back to the idea that your body just doesn't know how to feel where you are. And so what we want to do is we want to make up this deficit by retraining the muscle control, right? You can actually, your body has redundancy. We have multiple ways we can get information to our brain. And if you lost it from tearing the ligament, we can improve it by getting more information from the muscles. And so this comes from just spending time training. Um, so can a tool like MOBA be effective in improving your foot ankle awareness and proprioception decrease your ankle sprain risk? Absolutely, right? Oh, so cool. because we're getting those muscles involved to help feel and find positions um, as far as where you are uh, and make up that deficit to improve your position awareness. Okay. And that's a really key thing. It's like we say, okay, well, you know, the acute state is over. I'm not swollen. I'll just start running again. Well, what have you done to fix that control? Mm, people typically look around the room and waiting for somebody to give me an answer, right? Dude, so. I don't even know if I wait for the acute stage to be over. That's probably the other yeah. bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But yeah, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, you know, you lost position sense. It needs to be restored, right? And if you mm-hmm. spend time doing that, it will. And the cool thing is, like, when we talk about these things, we're not talking about two hours of work a day. Like that's not at all. Like when we talk about you know improving balance and proprioception, we're talking like five to ten minutes. You know, most days a week. If most yeah. days means four, means three, whatever. But like, put this in as like part of your instead of like you know spending time stretching pre-run, which is doing nothing. You know, mm-hmm. spend some time doing some things that are going to help you. Right? And like wake up the, your nervous system and get some control, and then go runs. Like make things easier for you, make things complimentary. And so if you put, if you put them in that sequence, yeah, you can get a lot of benefits. So like doing things like little foot rock exercise, doing the, what's on that, that everted pass round exercise. I've got, this is all on the MOBA board website. Yeah. Um, and doing the, um, the around the world, those are like mainstream go-to okay, for foot cool. and ankle, for ankle sprains because it just cues you to feel and find position of, oh, like this is how my foot and ankle are moving. And, and yes, we can fix those things. Okay, that's awesome to hear. So I'm looking very much looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, actually, so since you said it, a, a lot of people do stretch before they run or after they run. And I, I wanted to get your, since you touched on it, what's your view on that? Because I feel like I maybe used to do it and then I realized 
uh, I don't know that how much it matters. I mean, I'll do some, maybe some, uh, you know, like dynamic warm up type things, but I uh, just, yeah, since you are a biomechanics and uh, <laughs> like kind of what you found in that, in that way. Yeah, I'll share a funny story here. So years, this is like a long time ago, I was at a conference. We had this, we had all these presentations, like different aspects of how you treat tissues and stuff for running research. And end of the day, but we had a group run and like before the runs, but like Dr. So-and-so is going to lead us in group run stretch before we go. And somebody's like, didn't we just realize all day this is complete BS? And everybody's like, yep, you're right. Let's get out of here. So it's just, you know, just an interesting story, but let's break down stretching in a sort of a few different range um, categories, right? So people think stretching is just holding a position for a long period of time. And, and the reason why you're trying to get into a position might be to move your joints, right? And that's, this happens. Those of you who ever had to have manual therapy in a PT clinic to get things moving from a bone on bone standpoint, mm-hmm. that's a, a joint mobilization. That's not what I'm talking about right now. Right. Um, let's talk about stretching. So stretching is actually, can we, is, is tissue too short? So you can imagine um, when you were a kid and went to an amusement park and they said, you must be this tall to ride this ride. You were either tall enough or you weren't tall enough, right? So the reason you would want to, quote, stretch, when, when I say stretch, I'm talking about physically lengthening tissue. So if you said, for example, for your calf, right? If you said, hey, I'm supposed to be able to put my, my big toe in the wall and drive my knee to the wall and that should be able to hit no problem, right? right. So, but you can't for some reason, right? So if you try and drive your knee to the wall and you find out that you can't do it because there's a pain in front of the ankle, that's a bony block, right? And that needs some manual therapy work to get that back. Stretching is not going to help you at all in a situation. In fact, it's probably going to irritate your joint. Um, so if you find that you've got tightness in back the ankle, right, through the Achilles of the calf, that means that tissue might actually be too short, right? And so if that's the case, spending time in a lengthened position, like a classic wall stretch, right, might be beneficial to increase the length of those tissues. But when you stretch, you're ripping your tissues apart. Right. Like you're literally introducing trauma. So would you want to bang your head against the wall 50 times before a big test? No. Don't give yourself a concussion, right? You can't think very well. So would you want to rip your tissue into pieces before you go run? That's not smart, okay? Now – so holding positions for a long period of time is about elongating tissue, which is basically ripping it. And again, there might be a role for you if you are tight, right? We see this a lot of time in hip flexor length. We see it in terms of calf problems. Mm-hmm. We can see some quad tightness sometimes. And it, sometimes it might be beneficial. But pre-run, I would never stretch pre-run. Pre-run, what can you do is called dynamic stretches. Now, again, I didn't call it dynamic stretches. The community sort of did, right? <laughs> dynamic stretching is a dumb word because you're not actually trying to stretch anything. You're not trying to physically elongate tissue. All you're trying to do is tell your nervous system, hey, chill out, okay? When I try and take a position which feels like – because we've been sitting all day and just at our cubicle, right? Or maybe I've been you know, on the floor doing a bunch of work with my two-year-old all day long, right? whatever. It's like you've been in these weird positions. Now you're going to go run. I want to wake up my nervous system and tell it, hey, we're ready to go. So doing some dynamic work, right, is super important. Mm. And there's great research to show doing dynamic work, which some people might say, well, that's kind of a stretch. But you're holding for like three to ten seconds. Right. You don't have time in three to ten seconds to rip tissue. It takes three to five minutes of sustained holds to actually elongate tissue. Okay. So dynamic pre- work pre-run, 100%, you should be doing this. So right? you call it – Static the- stretching pre-run. Oh, so, sorry. Good. So you call it dynamic work instead of dynamic dynamic stretching? Exactly. All right, I'll start yeah. using dynamic that. work. <laughs> yeah, dynamic work is is great. Stretch, sustained stretching pre run, not the right time to do it. 
Okay, gotcha. All right, that's good to know. And I'm glad I'm doing dynamic work and not uh, static stretching. So at least I am doing one thing right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And again, like, and, and not to not to, to go back and just make this all about you, but like, let's think about this. Like, make what you're doing about what you need. Like, if you said, "Hey, I've got problems that rolling my ankles every single day," well, we should probably work on putting some a little more dynamic work in foot and ankle as the forefront and center before you run. Right. Right. If you're somebody who's got some low back pain, you probably want to make a little bit more emphasis on some core moves. Right. If you've got somebody who's you know you've got a problem, like you said, like if I'm doing. Uh, a speed work session, right? Which is meaning you're running faster, which means you have to have a longer stride length to run faster. You're probably going to do some hip activation stuff before that workout, right? So think about what you're doing and make things reflective of what you need to work on, those kind of sticky points that we all have, right? We all got some issues. Yeah. We're trying to trying to work. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so I guess um, one thing I wanted to get back to, touch on real quick, was regarding you know foot strength, that's one of the main things that you're trying to address there, especially with the MOBO board. Do you think since we do review a lot of shoes here, do you feel that the type of shoe matters regarding foot strength? Obviously we're in the golden age of max cushion shoes, carbon plated shoes, lots of things going on. And we've talked to people in the past, like we've had the zero shoes founder on here before. And obviously he's a very much natural minimal, like don't anything above, you know, natural is not good for you. Um, so I want to know, get your opinion on running shoes and foot strength and whether you've seen how, how that plays into it. For sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've, uh, I have tested, tested, validated, innovated about over 30% of the shoes in the wallet or especially run shop oh, wow. um, in my career. Okay. Um, yeah, I've worked for many. Yeah, I've done contract work for many different brands, um, and and those that I haven't done work for, I've tested your shoes. So, <laughs> um, so I, I can say this: um, shoes are a tool, right? Um, I was rebuilding my deck this past weekend with a friend of mine who has a bunch of those, right? And both of us can put a sledgehammer in our hands, and he's much more skilled than I am, right? Mm-hmm. So the equipment isn't everything. Um, wh- the reason I say this is um, you need to show up with proper foot and ankle strength regardless. You will do better as a runner. You will do better as an athlete in terms of durability and performance when you show up with good foot and ankle strength, just like you need good hip strength and core strength and postural integrity and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. But the questions on shoes, I'm happy to answer this. Um, so I would say there is, again, if you say, what's the best shoe for everyone? I, I can't give you an answer, right? Um, let's talk about things we've seen over time and, and kind of really have some relevance here. Uh, <clears throat> number one, um, shoes for a long time, especially running shoes, have been too narrow. Uh, I am thrilled to see that it isn't just ultra leading the, the, you know, leading the challenge on making toe boxes wider. Um, the problem I've seen, um, there was a, 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 a shoe revision I was part of many years ago for a company and it was one of their best selling shoes and and they and everybody in the in their biomechanics crew was on board that this at this especially run brand like yes we understand the importance of widening the toe box and making give more room because when you run, you're you have two and a half times your body weight coming down your whole body. Your foot actually expands outward sure. when you when you contact the ground. And so um, that's a, that's a everybody knows this, right? But so that what they did that next year, they actually made the toe box wider um, to accommodate for that and give people better strength and stability. Because I don't care what you put in the shoe if your foot can expand, it's more stable. Like mm-hmm. it's just simple, <laughs> right? What happened was. Most of you listening to this podcast complained and said, hey, this doesn't grip my foot like before. And I want now or again. And like, I get it's what you're used to, but it's not better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So 
across the board, you're finally seeing more shoes companies come out with a little wider toe box, and that's a good thing. But what's crazy is that okay. now, because of what you just said, Ultra's now bringing it back in ever since they've been bought right. um, to, to the, attract yeah. to the traditional person who doesn't want a wide toe box. <laughs> yep. And that, yeah, this goes into what you're used to. And again, the person buying something at Dick's versus the person who wants something performance based, right? So, yeah, I'm not saying you want a sloppy fit. You don't. You know, the, the sort of midfoot should fit really nice and the heel should contour yeah. around your foot and ankle and shoes should move with you really well. Well, but, I mean, um, like, but like Topo Athletic, they're another one. And their shoes always yep. fit great. Like, they have great fitting uppers, but they still do the wide toe box thing. And like you said, yep. exactly. You, you still want it to fit right. You don't want your foot moving all over the place. For sure. So yeah, so, so foot foot width is. I mean, I'd say the the, the buying a uh, foot shaped shoe is definitely important. Now, when you get into cushioning, this is where things get really interesting, right? So for you know forever, right until the barefoot movement took off, we had kind of every shoe company had standard EVA bases called ethylbonyl acetate cushioning, mm-hmm. and they all had their own little you know doodads they stuck in there, but they were pretty similar, right? Um, and then we had the whole barefoot thing come around, and so we took all the cushioning out, and then so then we said, oh, barefoot's stupid, and that, that didn't work, and that's not true. If you look at the wall today on your re- retailer versus, you know, pre-barefoot movement, every shoe has less junk inside of it in terms of all these stupid... Yeah, controlling motion things, right? right. So, um, you know, the reality is that the research has shown those things don't work, right? They don't provide the benefit they were they were designed for, and in fact, they can be very harmful in terms of long term knee health. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> that all the medial posts and things like that are are, are, are mostly out of shoes. That's a yeah. good thing. Now, with regards to level of cushioning, um, you know. You have different golf clubs for different reasons, right? We have, you know, putters, right? And we have irons and we've got woods. I don't play golf, but, you know, uh, you know, you have a club has a different purpose, right? Exactly. You have a mountain bike for trails. You have a road bike for roads, right? It's like they're different purposes. Um, and most of you, runner, not most, all runners should have different shoes for different purposes, right? So um, if you said, you know, what do I run in most of the time? It's a very minimalistic type shoe. And why? Because if I'm going for a shorter run. I want my foot and ankle to have to do some work. Because it's that less cushion is going to make my foot and ankle work. Mm-hmm. Now, the reality is there's a little bit of an energy cost to that, right? So it costs more energy to run a minimal shoe. So if you said, hey, Jay, today we're going to do a speed work session or go do a race. That's not the time to pull out your minimal shoe. I mean, you can, obviously, right? But you're going to work a little bit harder to run in that shoe. And so cushioning can have a metabolic effect, right? So, um, And so if I said, hey, there's this thing out there you could buy which would make running a little bit easier, wouldn't you want that? Well, Sure. Like who doesn't want that, right? <laughs> um, so, so you know, to have a little bit of cushioning goes a long way. Now, we can break things up in what I call maximal shoes and super shoes, and we can talk about other weird things. But so let's look at maximal shoes first, right? So maximal shoes came about and they've taken off hugely because most people don't run uh, in their running shoes. And so they sell volume because the shoes feel comfortable. Um the problem with maximal footwear is if you're an overstrider, you are going to contact, you're going to keep contacting far in front of your body. And there's, there's so much cushion, there's no sort of signal to bring your foot back closer to you because it's a huge marshmallow under your foot. So you basically don't get that prior, I always say that wrong, prior. Proprioception. Proprioception. <laughs> I know the word, I know it's felt, I can never say it right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, you don't get that proprioceptive cue, right? And so, um, you know, again, if, if you're, and I'm not saying they're bad shoes at all, um, but if you're a runner with impact related problems, actually that type of footwear can be very beneficial because the way you decrease load is to increase time, right? It's real simple. And so having more cushion underfoot, if you're somebody who's got an injury, it's typically due to impact problems. They can be a valid solution for sure. Um, and I have many people use those different things. Most of those maximal sh- shoes also um, have lots of rocker in them, oh, right? Yeah, so they tend sure. to roll. And so if you're somebody who's got an acute case of plantar fasciitis type issues, right? So that's exacerbated when you bend the ankle and you bend the toes up at mm. the same time, right? So if your shoe has a rocker underneath it, there's less bend at the toes, less bend at the ankle. So people can kind of get away with a little bit of um, uh, get away with running when those things are, are, are inflamed in a maximal type shoe. Um, but again, you lose that proprioception. Um, I, I remember when um, those shoes came out, there's a lot of shoe uh, athletes sponsored by a lot of those maximal shoe companies and they had problems hitting splits on the track in those types of shoes because again, they're so mushy and wobbly. They change the dynamics of how our body is a spring, right? That's what it is. Remember we said elasticity is important yeah. and they had trouble hitting splits. So a lot of people will say, hey, if I'm really running fast, I have a hard time or I feel weird in those shoes. That's why, right? Yeah. Um, and so those shoes are designed to absorb impact, and that's the whole methodology behind them. Sure. Again, if you are a runner with impact-related problems, they're good. Those shoes are very different than the the shiny, sparkly stuff people like to look at, which I call super shoes. Okay, <laughs> um, so let's talk about super shoes for a second because there's so many myths out there, and I think we can make them really simple. Um, every cushioning thing we've talked about so far and, and in the past, right, has been about absorbing impact. I know 20 years ago you read some shoe companies ad saying we return elasticity or that's BS. Mm-hmm. It, it's impossible. Unless you have an engine in your shoe, you can't do that, okay? But super shoes basically change things a little bit. So imagine if you jump on um, a foam pad, right? Okay, so you jump on, you go to PT, and there's a little blue foam pads you jump on. They're soft and squishy, yep. right? and they're unstable, but they're soft and squishy. That's what too much cushioning is. Mm-hmm. Now go jump on a trampoline. Trampolines aren't just soft, but they actually have what we call displacement, right? They drive down a lot. Like think about a trampoline; they, it drives down like feet underneath you, right? And right. then rebounds to drive you back up again. And so that's what super shoes are doing. They're creating this sandwich of the ground, right? And then a layer of foam and then a carbon fiber or some type of material spring, right? Now, IAAF doesn't like us to call it a spring because you can't put a spring in a shoe. It's illegal, right? But it's a spring, okay? And a layer of foam in your foot. And so what you're doing is you're allowing for a trampoline underfoot. Okay, and so um, what the IWF has said is we have restrictions on height, right? How much will I let that trampoline move up and down? Right. And so they've said, what, 42 millimeters of uh, total stack 40, height, right? 40, but yeah. Mm-hmm. 40, sorry, yeah. 40, so, so, and so what they said is every, we're okay. We think it's legal for everyone to have a 40 millimeter trampoline under their foot, right? So great. Then that's what you've got. The problem is that trampoline needs to be, A, tuned for you, right? So when these super shoes first came out, right, they were tuned for athletes in the 110 to 135 range. Mm-hmm. And if you're somebody who's, you know, a successful person paying 400 bucks for a pair of shoes, you might not be that demographic. And so if you buy the $400 pair of shoes, you can wear them, but they're not tuned for you. And so that trampoline is going to be too soft. You're not going to get the benefit. Shoe companies are realizing this. They're realizing people who buy a product aren't the elites all the time, right? They're more mainstream people. So they're making things tuned in different ranges these days. But that shoe needs to be tuned for you to be effective. 
That's number one. Yeah. Number two. Oh, sorry. On that point, it's interesting because the the Nike AlphaFly one uh, had a lot of what you're talking about, that trampoline effect. Very bouncy, very uh, risky, maybe. Uh, (laughs) um, But it was kind of like night. Like people liked it because it was like that magical type of sensation. Move on to the second version, which just came out recently. And I mean, they said that they widened the base, put a little, uh, uh, made less in the drop in the four or I'm sorry, made a, a bit more of a drop. So there's less cushion in the forefoot. The result of it is less bouncy, less, ma- less of that super magical effect, but they they're trying to make that shoe appeal to a wider base of runners, uh, middle yep. back of Packers. So, um, yes. Yep. And, and that, and that hits on point number two, right? The point number two is if you jump on a trampoline, right? It doesn't just rebound you up. It rebounds you in all directions, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a little bit kicked to the side, guess what? You're getting kicked to the side, right? So um, I say this because I cannot possibly tell you the number of athletes I've worked with. And again, we're talking about the elites who got these early on, like many years ago, who got hurt in them right away, right? Because again, they were this big, unstable spring, right? And again, if you come off, you know, if you contact the ground a little bit off kilter to one side, or whatever, it's going to kick you back off to one side again. So, um, you need to be really careful for those of you who transition in these shoes. They're not worse, but it's very different, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you got some flaws in your gait, these shoes more often than not will accentuate some of those flaws. Tip number three, let's now focus on pushing the ground away from us as we run. It's really important to make sure we don't overstride, but it's also to make sure we have a solid push off at the back of our stride. So think about pushing the ground away from you each and every stride. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. My, <laughs> I have plenty of flaws in my running and uh, I like, like most runners, I love to run. I hate to do all the other stuff. Um, so yep. when we got the Nike Invincible, which was basically their the zoom X foam that they use in the, uh, you know, super shoes, Vaporfly and Alphafly, um, but just in a daily trainer and a high stack of it, it felt very good, but I, uh, felt like it fired up so many things in my body when I ran in that shoe because it is all over the place. Now, some people love that shoe and a lot, and I get it, it is a fun feeling shoe, but I also feel like they also they might have good running mechanics and do the right things and maybe can can handle the the side to side and the craziness of that shoe but personally it was just it it was too much for me to handle i think and we've been honest about that um but yeah so i I think that all leads to kind of what you're saying yeah and again like there there there's lots of great super shoes out there, right? But I just want people to be A, conscious on transitioning in them and B, realize the limits of where you are, right? You just said, I've got a bunch of foot and ankle issues I've been dealing with for a long time. Well, to put something right underneath your foot is going to accentuate those imbalances. Right. That's going to be tough for your body to deal with right now, right? So yeah. um, just making sure you're honest with where you are, what you're looking for. And I think that that's just really critical to make sure you put in the right equipment in the right hands, right? Or the right feet. Uh, but, uh, but that's important to sort of think about. And so you know, I would say that if, if I could make a plea to most of you out there, you should have a pair of shoes in your in your kind of repertoire, which is going to make your foot have to work a little bit, right? To put mm-hmm. to put a pair of minimal shoes somewhere in your repertoire, you're not in those every day, but to put a pair of shoes at like that in your in your um, rotation is a really good thing, right? Yeah. And if you want to have a pair of shoes for race day, great. But guess what? 
you need to train in those shoes a certain number of volume per week to get your body used mm. to them, right? Yeah. I think so often we kind of have this like, you know, oh, it's race day. I'll take my spikes out then like the, you know, it's like, it's like, it's some ceremony. Like you need to be used to what you're racing. And if you're not going to hit at least some of your, uh, you know, some of your splits in those, um, on a, on a speed work day, your body's not ready for that. Right. So sure. you want to make sure we have some exposure to different stimulus to make sure we're ready for it. Now, I think on the other hand though, uh, some people rely on those shoes too much where, because it feels so good, whether it's a race day shoe or, you know, now like there's companies making trainers that replicate the race day feel almost, I feel like that, on the other hand, masks your problems, at least for a little bit, um, because it feels so good underfoot that a lot of people just want to take those out every day. And then I'm sure sooner or later that might catch up with them, though. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. I mean, again, like shoes are great. I love I love technology. I love tools. I love this stuff. It's, again, I do a bunch of this stuff. But but your job as a runner is to prepare yourself first, right? So don't ever think that a shoe is going to, quote, fix your problems. If you've ever found a shoe sort of is better for you and then you switch different pair of shoes and you get hurt, like the shoe is kind of like just maybe helping you kind of walk that fine tightrope, right? But yeah. in the day, you got to fix your junk, right? Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> don't neglect that. Yeah. It, it is crazy because runners will run – you know, eight hours a week or 50, you know, 50 miles, whatever a week to a hundred miles, but to do like five minutes or 10 minutes of <laughs> the side stuff, the stuff that really matters that will get you like, keep you healthy and doing those miles is like pure torture. I mean, I'm speaking from experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I tell people all the time, like I've used this analogy for 20 years, right? Like you have an engine, you have a chassis and, and, and running is a phenomenal cardiovascular exercise, but I can tell you point blank, running will not improve your bone health as much as it would if you did some dynamic, you know, multi-directional stuff and some, some plyometric type work to load your bones fast. Uh, it will not uh, improve your muscle strength. I know people say, oh, it makes you strong. It, no, it doesn't. It's not enough of a stimulus and will not improve your tendon density, right? It, it doesn't do any of those three things. Like, it's a great exercise for your for your engine, but it's not a good exercise for your chassis. And and mm-hmm. those of you listening, that's probably want to keep running. And I don't want to be the bad guy, but I'm also the guy you call crying when things don't go well, right? So and I'll say, hey, look, you know, I don't care what you did yesterday for five minutes. I care what you've been doing the past five years, right? Have you been consistent in improving your bone density, improving your tendon health, improving your muscle strength? Yes. Great. Have you not? Well, I can't fix you tomorrow, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you need to be consistent, and these things do take time. And your know, body applies to the stresses we, that it sees, right? And if we don't give it time and attention and work on those imbalances, more running volume will not fix your problems. Why do you can't think make that any more clear? Why do you think runners hate doing the other stuff so much? Is it just because you get the endorphin what? release from running, and the other stuff's more just boring and the hard work? No, I think it's. A, I think it's a, no, I, I really think it has to do with this kind of low barrier of entry, right? I mean, think about it. Running requires you to get a pair of shorts and a sports bra or no shirt, whatever you want, mm-hmm. right? And a pair of shoes, which is, I know shoes are getting expensive, but they're pretty cheap compared to most sports, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's a low barrier of entry and the running community tends to be pretty supportive, right? You can show up at your local, especially retailer run or whatever. It's like, it, it's a nice supportive environment. Yeah. But if you walked into, you know, some other sports, I always use this analogy. If you walk into the weight room and you see some guy, you know, deadlifting a thousand pounds, you have this thought in your head. He probably didn't start with that on day one, right? He worked up to that over time and spent time working in the process. And 
it's a very different mindset. It's like I have to get all the fundamentals down or else I'm never going to get there. And running so accessible, you can run from day one. And I think that that, you know, that mindset is like I can just go on day one. And, and you did go on day one, right? But like from the get-go, there's that lack of just awareness as far as what that whole process looks like. And, and you know, I think that we're starting to see things change. I mean, I've taught for USA Track and Field for a long time for the coaches and I, and I – continue that mission to try to get a lot of the, you know, the, the cross country and track coaches to do less running <laughs> and more multi-directional stuff. Because, you know, you got that freshman kid show up and practice. I don't care how fast they run. I like to make sure they're not burnt out and they can still show up during their junior and senior year and, you know, build a better foundation for their entire life. And so, you know, we want to spend time working on the skills of running and working on fixing the chassis. Right. And like, mm-hmm. it doesn't take that long. It really doesn't. But if you do it consistently, man, you're going to be set up for a whole lifetime of success. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, good advice. And I think uh, something that we can all <laughs> definitely need to hear for sure. Um, well, I think we'll start wrapping this up. But I did want to ask you, since you did mention uh, the type we were talking about running shoes, what, what shoes are you running in right now? Uh, I've got... a pair of Merrill Trail Gloves, okay. a pair of Astro Loyaks, which is not a running shoe, <laughs> by the way, uh, but it's a shoe I run a lot. Um, and then I've got a few prototype shoes I use a lot that I design myself, which are pretty fun. Oh, really? And cool. one of those, yeah, and one of those is actually going to be coming out within the next year and a half, and it's pretty awesome. So, Oh, um, wow. That's, that's something to look forward to. We might have to check that out then. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little... Yeah, it's something we did with a company a long time ago, and they abandoned it, and then we tried it again. And it's it's pretty cool. Oh, so cool! Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Um, and do you do like do you do races? I don't. I'm not sure if some people we talk to do. Some I, I used to. Yeah, I used to a bunch of those. These days, I'm pretty much. Uh, you know, I, I I'm honest to be blunt. I'm more interested in surfing and uh, oh, okay. and snowboarding these days. All right, so here's I, the- I'm doing things for fitness. Here's yeah. in. Here's a different question. After a long day of surfing, what's your go-to meal or beverage? Uh, burritos, man. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, burritos for sure, and then cookies always finish it. it off. And then yeah, an icy cold beverage is nice. So nice. Uh, the Freem Freem IPA is delicious. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> have you read um, Have you read the book Barbarian Days? I have. Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I got it this summer and I, I, I'm working through a few different books at the same time. I'm like halfway through it. It's a really good book. <laughs> it's really great. It's a really great book. Yeah. It captures a lot of the, yeah, the, you know, I think like anything, right? Like I think a lot of the adventure has gotten weaned away from surfing and I think it's a cool to just talk about the adventure aspect of it and yeah. like just trying out new places and it's, it's, it's sweet. I like awesome. it a lot. Cool. Well, Jay, thanks for coming on the podcast. This is a really great discussion, and I feel like I'm lucky, oh, awesome. lucky to have talked to you and got some one-on-one advice that hopefully our listeners can appreciate as well. For sure, it was great. It was a great chat. Thanks for having me. Yep. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, Robbie, I learned a lot. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, are you gonna change your biomechanics? I will try, but I'm I'm gonna try it with my indigo board since we only got one mobo board. Yeah, I think he said that they're like logistics and stuff. His small company, so I get it. Yeah, you know we can't be sending mobo boards to everybody, but um, yeah, I mean I I think it 
to me it makes sense yeah i uh i don't know I w- i'm trying to practice some of the stuff we put into motion but it i feel like inevitably i'm still gonna end up looking like a question mark it's like my, <laughs> 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 <is> my destiny <laughs> i mean there's worse things yeah you can do but all right meg wait robbie has something real quick because i didn't cover this earlier i did go i went back to the when i went to check my stitches out or whatever they uh-huh. i did a full blood work test oh, oh. and how's your iron I, d- I don't know i didn't do it through inside tracker okay so you probably didn't but, get the right pants right so i'm doing that but just as far as like my general health he was like oh yeah you're like a perfect like specimen Whoa. i was like i did not expect that like perfect okay. specimen okay but who are they seeing on a well he was just like all day. your not he's like all your numbers are exactly where they should be Okay, let's get the inside tracker and compare. But I think that's generally, it's like liver, kidneys. Dude, like I think, stuff, yeah, so. I don't think that you would have, I think the difference is uh, on that, you're probably baseline healthy or above baseline healthy for just regular like, yeah. health. What the inside tracker is going to do for you is let you know, like, if you want to tweak, it's kind of like having, performance. It's oh, kinda like having yeah, an equalizer sure. versus having, you know, no, just no. a... I, I do have to do that, like, maybe this week or next, because I did the inside tracker thing. I just had to do my appointment. Um, but, yeah, so that that was uh, it was still good to hear, because I was like, man, I don't know. I haven't been to the doctor <laughs> nearly the time I should have been. So. I know. Meg made me go to the doctor one time, and it, he was like, I see, a, like, a lump on your throat. Maybe you need to go get an MRI. So, first off, <sighs> between the time that I saw him yeah. and he told me I had to go get an MRI, you start to sweat. You're like, what? Oh, yeah. And so I go, there. I get the scan. You got to wait for the results. And they're finally like, mm, no, you're fine. There's nothing there. Right, cool. And how much do I owe you now? Exactly. <laughs> I, I got I got dinged for that. And then should- nothing's wrong. But I'm like, the in-between time of visiting the doctor and him going, I'd like to have that checked out. And the time that you get it's it. a lot of stress. I don't know if you remember this. In the 80s and early 90s, you used to go get AIDS tests. Like that was just something like I mean, it was it. good from that. Yeah, you used to like COVID tests. You know, like it was like everybody was getting them. Like I, I was. Is this just because you lived in California? No, this is in New York when I when all this was oh, going on. Okay, but it, the the thing was, I wasn't even having sex, so it was like I don't know that this is. Gonna, I didn't know that was a thing. That's pretty wild. Yeah, so they used to do it, but the the time that you took the blood test and the time you got your results from your AIDS. My mind would go crazy. I'm like, I could have gotten AIDS. You know, maybe that was riding on well, a bike and I slid by somebody. And Well, Ryan White, I mean, that dude, like, imagine that. I don't know who Ryan White is. Well, that was a kid in the 80s who got AIDS from a blood transfusion. Oh. And he's like one of the first, like. I didn't commit him to memory. Oh. Like, uh, the name. Yeah, he wrote like a whole book, but he got like completely trashed. But you know why? Because like from all the kids at school and like everyone yeah. was like, oh, like, and. Well, at the time, it was highly stigmatized. Yeah, it was the gay cancer they called it. Yeah, and then he, and then he, like as a kid, he was like the first person to get it. But yeah, yeah, and his it was, life must have been. It, it, I can't even imagine the pain going yeah. through that. So, anyways, but that I didn't know that you well, routinely that, got that really that really went off on a tangent. Well, there. We get, it, I'm, saying, we I'm saying until you they do stuff and right. they just let, it's kind of like if I was like if you if I called you and said hey man. I'm real. I really like you. I think we should take it to the next level. Would you go on a date with me? And you're like, let me call you back in three days. Oh yeah. And then you'd be like, ah, oh, like, ah, uh, you know how your mind would just spin? yeah. You go through worst case scenarios. I get it. It's stressful, but yeah. also 
now that you know you're good, that's nice. I still think you should get a refund if there's nothing there. I do. I think <laughs> I think you should. I think you should get. You definitely. Should. Yeah, but the problem is then if something is wrong, they would probably. I don't want to take that risk. <laughs> yeah. If there's something is wrong, then what? like if they get if you get a refund, yeah, and they're like, hey, you should go do get a test, yeah, and then they have to. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. they'll be like, mm, don't worry about getting the test. We'll just see if your head falls off in a little bit. <laughs> if they're right though, maybe they should get a bonus or something. That's what I think should happen. Like if you nail it, uh, Jing got it. Maybe it should be performance based. Dude, I had that whole thing happen to me with. I thought I had pancreatic cancer or whatever, right. and that was. It would have been if we didn't have good health insurance. It would have been twenty thousand dollars in medical bills for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, it's like that's like bang, bang, bankrupt that's what, a lot of that's people. That's what got Dirty Dancing guy, um, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. What? Oh, pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. cancer. Like yeah, you're Steve, gone. Jo- Steve Jobs. Yeah, you're done. Oh, that's like you got three to six months to live done. And I was like fr- freaking out. Same situation. But you know, whatever. Worked out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> still here. With that, we should say thanks to everybody for listening. Yeah, if you're still here, <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, thanks for you tuning really, in this You really week. are a fan of you. Brandon, put this, this to the front of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. Speaking of Brandon, thanks, Brandon, for editing this up. This one probably has more edits than the other one. Yeah. But, um, good luck to you. Yeah, good it? luck. Yeah, we did. We went on. And hi, mom. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Peace. Bye.